Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. I got £20 million. I got £20 million. Having to share it with somebody in Belgium. Bit of a hardship, but there you go. It's £20 million, isn't it? I mean, oh, I don't know. It's not enough. I'll have to give it back. It'll probably ruin my life, I should imagine. If only. Imagine if it was me. Oh, let's play Fantasy Lottery again. It's far more fun, isn't it, on the programme? Especially after... The uh, house prices have gone up by 15,000, which is great news if you own property. If, of course, you're not on the property ladder, it's Yabu sucks for you because you, you're never going to make it. But the best way, they say, to make money nowadays is to invest in property. Imagine if you're fairly old and you bought a house years ago and you paid 24,000 for it. It could be worth close on a million easily now, easily in London. It's not sexist to joke about Diane Abbott. You know, would you go out with Diane Abbott? Do I look blind? Not sexist to say that. Who says so? Anne Whittacombe. She said, if it had been a man and a woman had joked about it, nobody would say a thing because it's, you know, somebody... Oh, we had uh, Shami Chakrabarti. There's a woman deluded. Uh, it's apparently bad news. Whereas, in fact, to be honest with you, I mean, let's face it, Diane Abbott is not a looker. But that doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. It's the fact that it was said in a bar... And so that's it. And so Anne Whittacombe's turned it around. I mean, it's quite an, quite an interesting thing. She said she heard it on LBC, which, of course, would be absolutely right, you know, that somebody would be talking about this. And they, they were angry that he's been called sexist and misogynistic and all this kind of stuff. Whereas, in fact, if it was a woman going, you know, would you like to go out with David Davis? Do I look blind? People would laugh it off. But because it's a man doing it to a woman, it's like, ooh, can't do that. we become this mamby-pamby country. Can't say anything. You're fat. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to say you're fat anymore. So what do we call somebody? You're vastly overweight and you're going to die young because you're going to be a a drain on the NHS. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? If you're really, really fat, it's because you've either got glandular problem, you know, which you need to get sorted out, or failing that, you're overeating. There's only, you know, and you don't do any exercise. I mean, what do you think mine is down to? Glandular? No. I mean, I'm not the biggest person you've ever seen. You know, I'm, I'm overweight for my size. I could probably lose a little bit, but there again... So is Colleen Nolan. She's way bigger than I am. Way bigger. And you do see people who are bigger, and it's because of the amount of food they eat. If you, you know, if, you, if you're a large person, I bet you like all the things that, that you think are really lovely, but they're bad for you. You wouldn't really think, would you, that cheese and biscuits at the end of your meal would actually contribute to your size. It's the worst thing you could ever have. The worst thing. A friend of mine used to sort of eat. She used to say, oh, I love cheese and biscuits. So she used to buy boxes of the, the different biscuits. Because you think if it's a little thin biscuit, there's no fat. But in fact, they're the worst at pita bread. Have you ever looked at the fat content on pita bread? It's astronomical. Seriously. And biscuits are sugar. But if pita bread was the one that shocked me. I remember saying to somebody, don't eat pita bread. Because I have it. You know, I put fillings in and things like that. Occasionally, not very often. I mean, once every three months or something like that. I wouldn't have anything like that on a, on a daily basis. In fact, I've been talking about having a kebab for weeks. I haven't still had the kebab, so I'm, I'm being quite... I find if I talk about it, it's easier because then it kind of takes away the, the stress and the strain of thinking, oh, I quite fancy that. But now I think if I eat, you know, a kebab lunchtime, I'm not going to eat an evening meal. And yesterday I had the most boring thing imaginable, beef stew and dumplings. Marks and Spencers used to do a big one, normal, well, what I called normal size, which had four lovely dumplings in. The rubbish dumplings they've got at the moment fall apart. The beef, I mean, seriously, it looked a bit like pedigree chum. It was a lot of sort of gunky gravy with a few little bits in it. What I should have done is separated it all and taken pictures of it. Because it, it just wasn't... What they've done is they've reduced the size, but increased the price. So we kind, we kind of lose out. So what I did, I had two, but I didn't eat the dumplings. 
I took, took the dumplings out, which was a bit of a pointless exercise anyway. So, uh, you know, don't eat cheese and biscuits every day. Because it's lovely, isn't it? You do cheese, the biscuits, put a little bit of butter on, don't you? Uh, a bit of mayonnaise, and then the cheese on top. And then some, uh, some Branston pickle. It's got to be Branston. I'm sure there are other, other varieties out there, but it's just that Branston has become established. And you sort of put it on there. And you, eat, you don't realise. You eat, you know, and if you eat before you climb into bed, that's the worst thing. At least try and eat lunchtime and then don't... If you go to bed early, like I go to bed early, don't eat just before you're going to... You know, you don't eat and then an hour later you climb into bed because it just sits on your tummy. You've got to do sort of something, so at least sort of getting up and down. I wish they'd never invented, never, ever invented remote controls. Remote controls for the television, frankly, are the worst thing you can ever have because what does it do? It makes you lazy. It makes you sit there... And you just push the button, change the channel to three, change the channel to two, change the channel to one, and you don't move. You don't go anywhere. Whereas before we had remote controls, you had to get up, physically walk across the room, da -da, da -da, da -da, trek or get a mini cab or something, and then push the button on the television to change the channel. Sit back down again. Oh, it's rubbish. Up. That was exercise. We don't do exercise now, do we? We don't do anything. We just, we just sort of sit down and blob out. That's why all the fast food places in London, it's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Although there is a very good story about KFC in the paper today. It's, the story is that a bloke, I didn't know he could do this. He orders KFC online and they deliver through a company called Deliveroo, I think. And I thought, oh, I don't know, that saves all sorts of problems, doesn't it? Saves you walking up the high street. And again, I've not had Kentucky. Uber do it, do they? I don't like Uber. I don't like Uber. I'm sorry. I don't want to upset three quarters of my audience by saying I've ever taken an Uber cab because another presenter on here used to get pilloried and practically taken out and crucified for talking about Uber. I've never taken an Uber cab. I don't need to. I've got an account with another company uh, and I take black cabs. So there you go. That's the way it works. So uh, anyway, so this this bloke orders, I think, a party barrel. Yumma, yumma, yumma. You know, I mean, to be honest with you, you could eat a whole barrel, couldn't you, at this time of the morning? And it, it turns up, who's, who's the delivery driver? His ex-girlfriend. And she goes, oh, it's you. And he goes, yeah, she, you owe me money. So she refuses, not for the Kentucky, but for the time they went out together. So she refuses to deliver the Kentucky Fried Chicken. She takes it away again. <laughs> Poor soul. Because anyway, he then phones up to make a complaint, which she would. Which she would. Of course, he hated it before. He hates her even more now. And uh, the company had to apologise and they sent it out again. And uh, and gave him a five pound voucher. I'd have gone for fifty. I'd have gone for fifty. I'm sorry. I don't care whether it's ex girlfriend or non ex girlfriend. Uh, the deposit scheme for plastic bottles set to be rejected by ministers. Oh, it's all kicked off on the news desk this morning. Oh dear. Charles Rowe was telling me because I, I mentioned the story about the plastic bottles and up he chimes because he's obviously one of life's recyclers. He's obviously one of these people that after he's eaten his, his little meal, he then says, right, that's tin foil, that's going there. This was a bit of cardboard, that's going into that thing. This is a plastic, but no, I'm not doing plastic bottles. He's decided not to do plastic bottles, which is very laudable. And I'm very uh, in awe of people who do do recycling because I don't recycle. Frankly, you know, I've got too much going on to worry about recycling. I really could. I know, I know it's, it's the way forward. And I'm sure it's lovely for all you sandal-wearing, caftan-wearing, handbag-loving, head-in-the-cloud, arty-crafty, smoker-funny, dodgy-cigarette people. But it's not for me. I can't be bothered. I've got neighbours who do it. And frankly, it makes them look like alcoholics when they're all sorting out the bottles. I mean, I, want, I don't want to mention which of my neighbours does this, but I've seen a couple recently. They're close friends. And, uh, and they're putting, I don't want people to see me standing, they're putting empty bottles of Prosecco in the recycling bank. But Charles Rowe has now changed from plastic bottles 
a glass bottle. So I said, do you wash it out regularly? He said, every day. So every day he washes it, which is, which is obviously very good, uh, because the government are going to do away with this plastic bottle scheme. It's, it's going to be rejected by ministers. They're obviously not remotely interested, but let's face it, they can't get anything else right, can they? I don't think any politicians can ever get anything right. I think they all get into power and they promise you the earth. Yes, we'll do this for cyclists. Yes, we're going to do this for, for sort of, you know, getting the, uh, the homeless off the streets. Yes, no, none of this has happened. None of this has happened. Cyclists are in exactly the same situation than they have ever been. It, it isn't as bad as you ever thought it could get. But it is because now we've got three cyclists who've been killed already this year. And that's just in London. Go around the rest of the country, and I should imagine it's probably worth three in a week. Three in a, I mean, that's how bad it gets now. That's how bad it gets, because there's such bad driving in town. I mean, really bad driving. You know, I don't need to emphasise. Even at this time of the morning, bad driving. Really, it's, it, it's not very good. So the government and the mayor of London, they, they promise you everything. They're getting very excited. Sadiq Khan was very excited the other day because they're bringing the MTV Awards to London. Who cares? Who gives a stuff? I'll tell you what, matey. You know, I live and work in London. Well, I live outside of London, but it's the same thing. I'm in here every day of the week. Every day of the week, practically, barring Saturday. And uh, I couldn't care less whether the MTV Awards are. Why would that be such a big deal? Should we not be sorting out the cyclists? Should we not be sorting out the homeless before you faff around with sort of something like the MTV Awards? There's a reason they've not been held here. It's boring. It's boring. You know, I don't watch MTV. You don't watch... Does anybody watch MTV? No. I could do a survey round here. Do we watch MTV? No. You know, so makes no difference to me that he's going, oh, the MTV Awards are here. I mean, either he's interested in London or he's faffing around on the outskirts so he can get his picture taken with Beyonce or somebody like that. Because unfortunately, it doesn't do sweet nothing for London. Absolutely nothing at all. Uh, also, uh, Windsor Castle features on 10 new stamps released today. I'm tempted to say, have we got one of it burning? That'd be quite a good one to have, wouldn't it? The reason, of course, Windsor Castle burnt down is because they refused to put fire alarms in there. You know, so small wonder it burnt down. They've been told for ages, put fire alarms in. Oh, I don't think she really wants fire alarms in there. You know, it's a historic building. Yeah, amazing how, how quickly they actually got it built up, though, didn't they, really? Everybody rallied round. Everything else, we all have to sit there and wait. But uh, if it's Windsor Castle, then we've got Prince Dreary Andrew standing there going, Her Majesty, as opposed to Mummy. You know, which Prince Charles called her once, didn't he, when he was doing the Queen's Silver Jubilee in Buckingham Palace. She's sitting there in the in the box, surrounded by all these Z-list celebrities. And, um, and he goes, Your Majesty, Mummy. And the look on her, you could see her sharpening the axe for the Tower of London. I mean, really. I did read a little piece. I've got to read it, actually, because it was, it was just, it was so funny. Uh, first of all, uh, Donna Eyre, head was treated for stress in an alpine clinic. Everybody else just goes to one in Roehampton, but she goes to an alpine clinic. Uh, Charles Bronson, the most violent inmate, is just a little bit of self-publicity, and some boring person uh, is, is going to marry him. <laughs> she's, she's been in Emmerdale. Not that you'll remember her, because she's totally and instantly forgettable. Uh, there's a diabetes patch, I'll tell you about later, which could end the, uh, the pain of finger-pricking. You know, because if you're a diabetic, you have a little um, machine... And you just push the button at the end and it spring loads the needle. I mean, some people don't even bother cleaning the needle. I'm amazed that some people use the same needle on their insulin, whereas I get a box of needles, which is like 150 needles. So every time I inject, I take the needle off and get rid of it. 
But I know some people who keep the same needle. Why would you want to do that? Anyway, and so the finger pricking, you do that and you sort of, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You hold the end of it against your finger and you push the button, it shoots the needle into your finger and then you squeeze the blood out and you put it onto the little slide. It sounds horrendous, but that's what we have to do. I don't do it all the time. I know if I'm ill, I can feel I'm going to be ill. And so I don't need to sort of test the blood all the time. Occasionally they like to see a little, you know, see how, how bad it's, it's getting. Sometimes it gets quite bad. And uh, they're now thinking that a patch could actually end it, which would probably save an awful lot of money as well. You wouldn't need the little uh, thing. You don't need all the, the, um, the needles. You don't need all the other little bits and pieces and the slides that go with it. Because I've got a little machine, Medicheck, and you push a button and it shoots this little thing out the end, which stays there. And then you've got to drop the blood... So you've got to get a globule. Sounds disgusting, doesn't it? I do beg your pardon. If you don't like blood, you're going to hate this bit. And we've, we've done it on air before. You squeeze the blood out. And sometimes, you know, if it's cold, I can't get blood out of my fingers. And then sometimes you get a really good lot of blood. And then you have to drop it very carefully onto the little bit on this little slide that comes out. But you mustn't let your finger touch it. It's, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite an art to it. I promise you, when I first started doing it, I was, I was having blood sort of fountains coming out of my fingers because if it hits a little vein you get a little fountain it's quite pretty but you know messy at the same time and so you put the blood on there then it counts down in six seconds or ten seconds and it tells you what your blood reading is and I know this morning because I can tell exactly how I'm feeling it's 15.8 I know it's 15.8 if I'd had my machine with me I'd have tested it to prove that I am because I know what 15.8 feels like uh, Kristen says, I had a kebab over the weekend. Wasn't the best one I've had. They are hit and miss, aren't they, Kristen? Kristen's, you remember Kristen before? We couldn't work out if Kristen was a boy or a girl. So we had a look at a picture. I mean, it looks like a boy, but it could be trans. I don't know. And, uh, and then we, did, and then we, we went through this phase on the programme of trying to find how many boys' names were really girls' names and how many girls' names were really boys' names. And we discovered, actually, it's quite, it's quite a normal thing for boys to be given girls' names, and like um, Big Daddy, the wrestler, who was really called Shirley Crabtree. That was what his name and was, Shirley. And I think, um, wasn't John Wayne called something else? Didn't John Wayne have a name? I can't remember. They all had original names, but a lot of them were girls' names. Johnny Cash did that boy named Sue because the father thought if he called his... John Wayne's Marion, you see. So that's and you think Marion, that's a girl's name. It's more wonder he changed it to John. Get off your horse and drink your milk. You know, and that John Wayne, who was the epitome of sort of big butch American cowboy kind of thing. He tried other films. It never kind of worked the same way that the cowboy films were. But it was that thing about boys' names to girls' names and girls' names to boy, boys' names. And now people have unisex names, so it could equally be a boy as a girl. So Kristen could either be a boy or a girl. And I should imagine most people probably call Kristen Chris, but it's spelt with a K, because if it was spelt with a C, it would look stupid. But you will get some people, chavvy people mainly, who decide to give the funny spellings, like um, Colleen, C-O-L-E-E-E-E-N. You know, they they add something because they think they're being very clever. Whereas, in fact, the more you sort of change the uh, normal accepted spelling of names, the more ridiculous it starts looking. So anyway, just going back to the diabetes patch, much better. I quite like the idea of that. It's, a, it's got a sensor the size of a two pound coin. And what it does, it uh, it will send the data to your phone. Oh, brilliant idea. I like the sound of that. I want some of that. I shall have a word with Mr. Shah in The Chemist. In Twicken, we'll see if we can get hold of some of those. Uh, also, the man who turned up drunk for a job interview with the police. But where is this story? That's right. This is 
this story, I, I, it leapt out the page at me. It's in Shakespeare's column in the Daily Mail. And it says, Prince Charles, yeah, married to Diana, you know, really fancy the, the old woman. And uh, Prince Charles had some unlikely words of reassurance for comedian Sean Walsh after the latter bombed at a Royal Variety performance. So many do. So many do. I died so badly, recalls the stand-up comic, saying he was not on the same wavelength as the well-heeled audience. They're not just posh, they are millionaires. I come on and talk about pizzas and pot noodles and isn't having to use a knife and fork a hassle and they stare at me and think, what's this? Uh, Walsh is a regular on TV shows such as Live at the Apollo, says that when the prince shook all the performers' hands, he told him, don't worry about that. Bit too posh for my liking. Well, let me just inform Sean Walsh that the audience at the Royal Variety performance is less posh than even you could ever imagine. It is an audience of chavs. Posh people do not go to the Royal Variety performance. I know because I've been for 15 years. And let me tell you, there's more people like Gore Blimey. Hey, oi! Doris, want a, want a sherry? There's no, it's not posh, even though that old adage, and this is probably where you've got it from, from John Lennon, say, you know, poor people clap, rich people rattle your jewellery. You don't see that. They're not millionaires. They're not just posh people. It's ordinary people can buy tickets for the Royal Variety performance. So the fact you put in a lacklustre performance, I'm afraid, and just weren't very funny, would be the kind of thing. Don't blame it on the audience. They understand exactly what pot noodle is. Most of them take it in with them to eat in the interval. So, uh, a right load of old claptrap there, posh audience at the Royal Variety. <laughs> My God. There's more people carriers outside than anything else. The only, put this way, the only posh car there was mine. That was the poshest car there. And I'm not exactly a millionaire. Well, it will be after I've picked up 20 million from the lottery. It's just a matter of giving them the right name and address and making sure. It'd be so funny, wouldn't it, if I, if I check and, uh, and it goes, oh, congratulations, you've got 20 million, but you've shared it with somebody in Belgium. You go, oh, well, I've been to Belgium once. You know, even their cabbages are smaller than ours. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, every day after Valentine's Day. I know, I feel the same. I feel a bit deflated, actually. You know, as I say, there are roses sitting out there on the uh, on the news desk. There's no name on them. There's no, there's no card. They obviously just sort of turned... Somebody obviously brought them in, I suppose, just to cheer the place up a little bit. But uh, when I went home on the train yesterday, I didn't see people clutching bunches of flowers and uh, or things like that. I think it also it's... It's the restaurants, isn't it? And I know that the restaurants try and, you know, do it and they go, today a special Valentine's meal. If you're feeling particularly amorous, and why you would be for Valentine's Day, I do not know, um, it's a case of why would you go and sit in a restaurant with a lot of other miserable-looking people? Because nobody talks, do they? You, you, I tell you what, try it next year. You can't do it now. Go past a restaurant when they've got a Valentine's menu on and look how many people are just sitting there staring into their soup. Seriously, you don't see people chatting away and going, I really love you, because you can't do that in company unless you're making a porno film. You know, and it's the kind of thing that you have to... It's, it's not a shared experience. So, you know, and then somebody comes around the table and goes, would you like... A? They were giving away red roses at Waterloo Station the other day. I was tempted to say to the girl handing them out to women, bit sexist, isn't it? You know, shouldn't be giving them to men as well. Why are you just giving them to women? The flower stall was... He must have been furious on the flower stall. Uh, over, in, uh, over in Eden Walk in Kingston... I bet they took loads of money yesterday. I bet yesterday was a very, very good day for them. Because they're about the only flower shop there, aren't they? I know you can buy flowers in Marks and Spence and things like that. But you can't beat a flower stall. You cannot beat a flower stall. I love a flower stall. Peter outside Richmond Station. He's got his flower stall till they start doing the station up. Then they're going to lose him, which is a great shame. You know, that's what you do. You get off the train. You go, I've got to try and explain to the wife why I'm a little bit tiddly. And I'm late in. So you buy a bunch of flowers. That's how it works. However, do not upset the North Korea fat boy fat, Kim Jong-un, 
do not upset him at all, because he has assassins. In fact, in fact, they've assassinated quite a lot of people. Apparently, his half-brother is Kim Jong-nam. They're very, they're very uh, different with their names, aren't they? They shared the same father, but the mother was somebody different. And uh, I don't think they, uh, they talk to each other. And uh, he was assassinated at an airport, uh, said by the regime... For that read, fat boy fat, getting a little bit upset. Now, I don't like it, upset the regime and all this, and stamps his little fat foot. Uh, he's said to have disgraced North Korea with his drinking and gambling. Murder apparently okay for Kim Jong-un and the fact that he, well, that he set off a rocket into somebody who dared to fall asleep at one of his uh, little conferences. A quite vile little fat ugly man. But there again, you know, if ever you see somebody with a haircut like that, you can bet your bottom dollar... They're from Towie. Because they always have those funny little haircuts, don't they? Anyway, so the tyrant's brother, and you wouldn't know who he was, because he had a different name on his on his passport. So he was targeted, quite definitely. And he was an outspoken critic of the North Korean regime and the leader. Died on the way to hospital. He was at Kuala Lumpur International Airport. Doesn't make any difference. Uh, because they say he was killed with a poison spray. I'm led to believe it was, um, it was like uh, a needle. Somebody went went behind him. We've had it before. We've seen the Russians doing that. They inject somebody with something. Look at Litvinenko. You know, he was sort of poisoned slowly. But we've had a Georgi Markov who was murdered on Waterloo Bridge with a, a dart in the end of an umbrella. Somebody just walked past him, went into his leg like that, pushed the button, and that was it. And he didn't know anything. He just felt a, a slight sort of, ow, wonder what that was. And you don't think anything of it. And gradually it filters through through the body. In this case, this bloke was obviously injected with something. He went to the desk, complained. He was checking in for a flight to Macau. And um, and they called an ambulance. He died in the ambulance. He must have thought, I've been murdered. He must have thought that because he, uh, he must have been on a list. Uh, the local police have confirmed his identity. It was Kim Jong-nam, this is the one who, who died, who didn't attend his father's funeral. His mother was an actress. And uh, his father kept his parents' relationship a secret. Um, and so he was there, but he didn't like his half-brother. He obviously didn't like the regime. And so they obviously thought, well, we'll leave it for a little while, and then we'll send over two of our women, spelt W-I-M-M-I-N, who can go and be assassinated. It is like something out of a James Bond film. It really is. That if the Russians or the North Koreans or just about anybody want, want to kill somebody... Who was it was talking about this? Day? Somebody was talking about this the other day in... Um, I think James O'Brien was talking about having people murdered. And this bloke in South Africa, but I think he was here, was saying that in South Africa you can get somebody killed for, for little. I think it was 500,000 rand. But it sounded like grand. And so he said, let me just come back on that one. He said, 500,000 rand. And he said, yeah, he said, how, how much would that be? He said, about 30 pence. 30 pence you can have somebody killed for. Because in a, in a country where a lot of people don't have anything, 30 pence is 30 pence. And to shoot somebody, you know, doesn't make any difference. That's why so many cars are fitted with flamethrowers. Have you seen these? They've actually got gas jets underneath the car. So when you pull up at traffic lights, if it's a particularly dangerous area and somebody tries to hijack your car, you push the button and the flames come out. I mean, life is cheap. They had to change all the uh, car plates in Florida so that it didn't look like it was a car rental. Because the people who would hijack you at uh, lights as you were trying to make your way out of the airport to get out of the state to go somewhere else uh, would know it was a car rental and would know you'd come from the airport and would know that you had money and travellers checks and everything else. So uh, the cars were targeted, so they had to take off all the plates. But uh, the tyrant's brother killed with the poison spray, as I say, a long list of people upset Kim Jong-un and uh, the chances are the word will go out he wants to get rid of. 
So this one was was got rid of. You know, you can't... Uh, they, they don't sort of go for things like that. He obviously doesn't take criticism very very well, does he, Kim Jong-un? And we're assuming it's come from him. I mean, who else would be remotely interested in, uh, in a half-brother of the person who runs the country? I can't think of anybody in particular. So uh, that's it. I mean, he did live abroad for much of his life. And uh, uh, he actually said at one time, the Kim Jong-un regime will not last for long. He says, North Korea will collapse. Well, that's enough, isn't it? You might as well seal your death warrant. And so he's dead. The other story uh, making the papers for today uh, is the tax cut for Amazon. In other words, Amazon, can you believe, in 2015, Amazon paid £11.9 in tax. OK, which is good. But its, uh, it's Luxembourg unit took in £5.3 billion. Pounds. £5.3 billion. They've just had their warehouses downgraded, so they get it cheaper. They get che- Honestly, I'll tell you, is anybody... Pa- Hello? Hello? Talking in a tin can. Is anybody paying tax in this country? Oh, I am. It's me. It's an annus horribilis year. Well, it was in 92 for the royals. Last year, vintage bad year for celebrities and a very, very bad year for the attention-seeking and quite clearly very delusional Helen Flanagan. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Um... Uh, do you remember a case some time ago in America? And it's, it's, it's happening over here, and I'll tell you why in a moment. It's, um, it's a man who booked a date with a woman on a dating site. And uh, she was in one part of the country in America, and he was in another part of the country. Anyway, at the last minute, she cancelled the date. So he sued her. He sued her because she'd basically entered into an agreement to actually go on a date with him, and he'd spent money. And he won. Well, it's happened over here. It's happened over here for uh, for even a singleton, well-versed in the ups and downs of online romance, Lucy Brown found her date's reaction surprising. When she told him she didn't think they'd be seeing each other again, he sent her a bill for the drinks. I mean, quite clear, I don't know how many dates she's been on. Anyway, at first, Miss Brown, who's a clothes designer from London... Assumed it was a joke, but then she realised her disappointed suitor was deadly serious. She even ended up paying him for his cheap wristwatch, which she'd inadvertently taken home. How you take a wristwatch home, I don't know. It was never likely to be a match made in heaven. They found each other on the dating website Plenty of Fish. Which doesn't even sound exciting, does it? I mean, you know, could it not be, you know, find the love of your life? But, you know, but Plenty of Fish... Anyway, he admitted he had to save up to be able to afford to take her out. They were not going to the Ritz or the West End. They met up in a pub in Clapham. Which is, you know, really quite nice. When they parted at the end of the evening, Miss Brown thought her date had been normal and sweet, but decided not to pursue the relationship. She sent him a text out of courtesy. See, the trouble is, I'm also of the opinion, cynical old Steve Allen, that there will be a lot of people out there who'll be thinking, how can I eat and drink for free? Well, you just join a dating website, go out for somebody, and people being people, and traditionally, traditionally, men pay, don't they? Not in this case. Yeah, men pay. And so you could effectively eat out. You just go, yeah, I love you. Thank you. I don't think I'm really going to be seeing you again. I've had a meal off you. And if that's the best you can manage, 80 quid, I'm not going to bother again because that's only 40 quid. So anyway, um, she sent him this text out of courtesy, letting him know she was not interested in a second date. He replied with a message telling her he was devastated after taking her on a nice date but made sure that he included his bank account number and sort code together with the bill for the evening which came to £85. He told her not to send him back the watch he'd lent her because it'd be too painful to receive the watch in the post and remind me of you. He asked her to send him 20 quid. He said it had cost him. 
So she sent the man £42.50 uh, and donated the same amount to a donkey sanctuary, saying the laugh had been worth it. She said, he sent a message and I said, I feel like the donkey sanctuary has come out better. I just texted him back saying, Eeyore. You know, I would like to find out actually how many dates Lucy Brown has been on. Now that's, that, that, would, that would intrigue me more than anything at all. I would love to find out. Well, he billed her, yes, for her, her part of the meal. No, so she she decided to send him £42. There's a picture of her. Um, you know, I don't know whether that's the, the picture from the Plenty of Fish. I don't know how Plenty of Fish works. I mean, I'm, I'm talking completely off, off kilt here. I've got no idea. But, um, hi, thanks for your honesty. I had a really nice time with you, and the truth is I'm a bit devastated uh, at the moment, having read your note. I really fancied you, that's what he wrote, and saved up some money to take you on a nice date. As it didn't work out, I'd be grateful if you could send something... Uh, to contribute for the drinks I spent on you, thinking at least I'd get to see you again. I think we know what he's after, don't we? I think. The total cost of the night was 85 quid, and it'd be too painful to receive the watch in the post, but the cost was 20 quid. Happy for you to do what you feel is right, especially considering my badly damaged feelings. So she sent him the money. But of course, all, all she's done is she's drawn attention to herself because I've just got this horrible feeling that there'd be people contacting the paper going, wait a minute, I went out with her as well. And I took her out for dinner and it cost me 168 quid. And then she said, I'm sorry, I don't want to see you again. Because that's the way, of, I mean, I think if you're going out with somebody on a on a, a dating website like Plenty of Fish, and I'm assuming it's not like um, one of these sex websites, you know, where you meet somebody. Uh, it's a legit one. Well, the other was a legit as well. You can meet somebody just, just for sex. I mean, you know, people go on to Tinder, don't they, and things like that which is quite frightening because they say, I mean, I've never been on it. As you can well imagine, I'm a radio presenter. I don't need to do that. People flock to me anyway. And, um, and, and you sort of, it says somebody is, you know, interested in you and they're about 30 feet away and you start wandering, thinking, oh, we go back to the newsroom again. You know, newsroom's quite close, less than 30 feet. But uh, I wonder really if it would be in London, if you were a woman working in London and you weren't earning a fortune, how you would get free meals. You join a dating website and men take you out and buy and buy you dinner. And you're either attracted to them or you're not. But if you're not, it means you get a dinner most nights of the week. They did a thing on the television the other day. It was a dating website where men who always buy the meal, that's called suckers, I think. That's called, you know, women go, well, you're not going to buy me a meal because that's how it's supposed to work. No, I thought it was supposed to be equal nowadays, isn't it? Ever since we gave girlies the vote, I thought, you know, people would actually pay for their own dinner, you know, and go Dutch. That's what it was called. They go, listen, the bill's 40 quid. Do you want to pay for it? You know, why, why, why wouldn't you pay for it? And, uh, and somebody would say, well, you're the man. You go, well, there was a dreadful programme on the television the other day. And it was, what was it called? It was something like grannies who are escorts. And it started with a woman who meets men for sex. She's a hooker. You know, don't don't misconstrue what escort means. In this case, they're offering sex. She was 84. 84. And the youngest person she'd had around was 20. I mean, barely, she looked as though she was barely able to get to the bed. 84 she was. They had another woman who disguised herself so that the people in the village wouldn't know she was a hooker. Well, I recognised her immediately. You know, she put a little mask on, but, you know, surely you're going to hear, hear somebody's voice and you're going to know who it is. So that was that. That was a very, uh, very um, taxing programme as far as I was concerned. Why would somebody want to go on the television and tell people you're a hooker when you're 84? I mean, they might die. Imagine. How dreadful. Uh, the church wants a £2 maximum stake on betting terminals. Why don't they just mind their own business? Why do they mind? Worry about the, the, the dwindling congregations 
in the church now and the fact that so many churches, a bit like pubs, are closing due to lack of interest and they turn them into houses because, you know, the church doesn't do themselves any favours by trying to win people in and, and get people to stay there because there's no, there's no sort of appeal in churches anymore. There was years and years ago, but I don't think there is anymore. I don't, you know, they sort of try and make it, you know, and then, I mean, at the moment we are plagued outside the stations in London. I don't know who they are, I can't remember, but they're all standing outside stations with lots of pamphlets like, do you want to know what's going to happen to the world? I thought, no, I don't, I really don't care. And uh, they go, but they, they don't approach you. They're not like the chuggers. Hello, would you like to be friends with gay whales? No. I don't, you could save a gay whale. Oh, right, no, not really. Pilot whales? Um, just sort of lesbian whales? Gay whales? Anything like that. Would you like to save them? No, no, thank you. You know, I said, what, what do you do for a living? Uh, drama student. That's what they all are. They're all drama students because they're the only people who can sell this rubbish to you and they leap in front of you. I've seen them harassing people. Why it's never been uh, closed down by, by the police, I can't imagine. Sue Ann says the Italian flower stall in Brixton is amazing business. She said, uh, fresh, cheap flowers, 500 rand, about 30 quid. Uh, 18, for, uh, 18 for a pound. 18 for a pound. Oh, well, seems fairly good, doesn't it? Uh, Jim the Trucker says, mild this morning. Spring is on the way. I don't know, I thought yesterday was... Did I think yesterday was... Yeah, milder this morning, but definitely colder yesterday. Yesterday was a little bit chilly, actually. I went out and did sort of faffy around things. And I still... I watched a very good film. It's called Moonlight, which we're going to be talking to the writer for In Conversation for this week. And I'm hoping Ronan Keating's going to come in tomorrow. My first question's going to be, since when did you start shaving your entire body? That's going to be my first question. Because we don't hold back on In Conversation. We ask the questions that other people shy away from. And, uh, and I've still not done the VAT. I found out the months I'm supposed to be doing, which is... Uh, what am I doing? I've now forgotten. November, December, January. November, December, January. Because everybody's is different. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and get round to that. It can't be that difficult, can it? In fact, it isn't. Uh, the train enthusiasts who've gone loco. The main line gets its first steam train in 50 years. It was built at a cost of £3 million. And um, and the, these tickets sell out really quickly because people want to go through Skipton and the Yorkshire Dales and places like that. And on a steam train, it's lovely. And I've told you before, the romanticism of daddy, my daddy and steam trains and clouds of things and people leaning out the window, waving handkerchiefs and all the rest of it is just too irresistible. And if you're going through some beautiful parts of the country, it's even better. So they've got that. Uh, we celebrate June Brown's 90th birthday today. Many happy returns of the day. She came in to see me for an in-conversation and I said, so how's everything going? Well, it's all right, isn't it? You know, I thought she was going to say Pauline, but she didn't. And uh, she's, she's a smoker. In fact, when she did Desert Island Discs, tobacco seeds were her, her favourite object to take, which I thought was quite sweet, actually. But she had one of those... Because she smokes, and she's reached 90, so I mean, obviously it works differently for some people. And she had one of those um, vaporising cigarette things. So we've got clouds of smoke. They get clouds of smoke off these things, clouds of smoke. Uh, doctors say get diesel cars off the road. Isn't it funny, at one time we were told, you know, get a diesel car, get a diesel. Now it's so expensive, nobody can afford a diesel car. Mind you, I'm not keen on the electric cars. I'm really not. Sit at traffic lights. You feel you have to start the thing up every time. And um, the child killer, Ian Huntley, has asked fellow lags to call him Leanne. To be honest with you, I couldn't really care anything about Ian Huntley. The only good thing about him is that maybe he'll die before the end of his term. I'm really not... I don't know why we bother keeping child killers uh, in, in prison who are allowed to sort of get things out. You know, like in the case of Charles Bronson, I mean, nobody cares about Charles Bronson. It's not his name anyway. He just sort of took it because he thought it made him feel hard. And he's going out with this girl and he's, he phoned her on Valentine's Day. Who cares? 
So these, these people are in prison for a reason. Hang on to your hair, guys. There's a test for baldness on the way. Would you really want to test? I'm telling you now, if you're blonde, you're going to lose your hair. OK, just telling you that now, because blonde people have weaker hair. Dark-haired people, black-haired people, it lasts much, much longer. Much, much longer. And, um, and you know, that's the way it works, I'm afraid. So I was blonde, so I sort of lost it. Jonathan Ansell, very, very pretty uh, member of G4. And then he went solo, and I think G4 must be back again together, or perhaps in some form. He's, he's got blonde hair. He will, he will lose it, ultimately. It's a shame, isn't it, really? Because I think blonde hair looks really good. It's like Boris Johnson. He shows no sign of, of losing um, his hair at all. He looks like he's got loads of it. Oh, the people with the pamphlets are Jehovah's Witnesses. They're everywhere, says Jackie. In Feltham. Wow. Yes, they, at the moment, it seems to be a concerted push because there's one, two, there's three lots at Waterloo Station and they just stand there. I don't know whether or not they're not allowed to approach people or that's part of the, the thing. And so are the Jehovah's Witnesses the ones who don't do blood transfusions? I can't remember. We're just having a check. I, can't, I know that one of them don't do blood transfusions. So in other words, if you've actually got a, um, an ill child, it is the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you've got an ill child who needs a blood transfusion, they would rather let the child die than have the blood transfusion. I, don't, I, I can't quite get my head around that bit, but I'm sure they understand what they're doing, but it just doesn't seem, doesn't seem right to me. But they're all standing there at the station. They don't say anything. And we've got, we have got them in Twickenham, outside the station, down... They're all over the place. It must be a concerted push to get people in, for some reason. Felix says Tinder's a waste of time. Oh, right. He says, because uh, a fraction of users aren't genuine are... Or are already in relationships. Yeah, they're just people who, who want um, lots of SEX, aren't they? And I suppose it's cheaper than going out to a bar and standing there all night, chatting somebody up, only for them to say, uh, got to go now, going to miss the bus. You know, whereas, in fact, I think if you go on Tinder, it is for people who are looking for an instant sexual attraction. So, uh, because... It's, but some people do different things, don't they? Some people, you know, like standing in a bar. Some people like standing in a club. And uh, you chat somebody up. It seems kind of a waste of time, though, isn't it? Because you're just after the one thing. So when they say, would you like to come back for a cup of coffee? You don't genuinely believe it's a cup of coffee you're going back for, do you? You believe it's a little bit of uh, cheese on toast, maybe? Um, scampi and chips? Anything like that. But no, sometimes it could be a cup of coffee. And that's when you kind of go, well, that was a waste of time. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Ten to five. Apparently, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Steve, are not allowed to approach you. But if you stop near them, they'll talk to you a lot, says Jackie. I've never, I just keep walking, actually. I don't, I don't go for that, uh, that kind of sort of Bible bashing and the, uh, and the, the blood transfusion thing. I, I can't quite work out why it was. I know, I know it goes back in, in time. Those look so normal, don't they, all these people? Yet, really, they're just trying to get you into their church. I mean, I wonder how you convince somebody to move from, if you're Catholic... You know, would you like to move to Jehovah's Witnesses? Or if you're C of E, would you like to move? If you're Muslim, would you like to move? I don't know who, the, who they're sort of targeting. I did say a, a very interesting programme the other day. And uh, it was on Rome, underground Rome. And it was with Alexander Armstrong, who went underneath Rome to see what it was like. Because Rome is built on this rock. And underneath the city of Rome are the... Um, catacombs, which used to be quarries. And the catacombs were there to bury... The, they didn't know where, where to bury people, so they buried them in the catacombs. And underneath Rome, and I mean underneath Rome, going down eight storeys 
there are these tunnels, these sort of sinkhole kind of things, which uh, appear in the street and you go down and down and down and down. And you've got things that were built hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, like, you know, the uh, the aqueducts to take the sewage away, the water that goes through underneath the city, so far underneath the city. But the catacombs were absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so you had all the people buried there. Jewish catacombs as well. And Alexander Armstrong said, I've never even heard of Jewish catacombs. And he said, well, that's where people were buried. They've got lots of Jewish catacombs down there. Plus they've got the normal people and they've got different uh, religions parked down there. And churches. There were churches that were built so far underground you'd never find the blooming things. But the most interesting thing was at the Colosseum where they, they used to have to get the animals up into the auditorium because the Colosseum was a theatre of blood. Uh, in fact, if you worked at the Colosseum and you didn't do your job properly, you didn't get the animals in there, you found yourself as the next meal of the animals because they, they had all these trap doors with uh, lifts, which over, I think there were more than 40 in the floor of the Colosseum. So the animals would be in the cages underneath and they got rid of... oh millions of animals in fact it, it became a it became a sort of game for them to find an unusual animal it's no good having a you know an elephant coming in unless the thing was starved to death and it was hungry because it was only going to throw you to the ground it probably wasn't going to eat you so they went for things like lions and tigers but they starved them deliberately for weeks so that when they arrived in the ring they were so hungry they'd have, they'd have killed anything at all and so this theater of blood and you went there for your for your afternoon You'd finish work and you go, uh, Colosseum today, anybody, anybody Colosseum? And um, they go there and, and it was like the life of Brian where they come around selling popcorn and little treats there whilst you watch people dying. Literally, they would sort of have the gladiators up there. This trap door would open and this lion would shoot into the ring. And it would then be a case of either kill or be killed. Most people died and they'd be dragged through. There was a gladiator's room underneath and a mortuary all of which are still there. And it was a case of this was the way you walked to get into the ring and that was the way you went out if you were killed. And it was just a theatre of blood. They would sort of have people working there and thousands and thousands of people would go to the Colosseum. But all of these things are still there under the ground. And it's the most amazing thing when you go down into the sewers of Rome, which are so far down and they're so sophisticated. The Romans were the people who I think were the first ones to discover a cement that hardened underwater. So in other words, you would think it wouldn't, would, would you? I know, I didn't think so either. And uh, so it's a case of it hardened under... And it's still there because it, it made up these catacombs and everything else. I mean, phenomenal. They go for kilometres and kilometres, the catacombs. It just runs and runs and runs and runs. So if ever bits of Rome drop in, which they do on odd occasions, they go down quite a long way. Five to five. Uh, Pat says, Darren and yourself would never become Jehovah's Witnesses, Steve. They don't celebrate Christmas, don't they? Oh, I couldn't do that. You've got to celebrate Christmas. Although, actually, strangely enough, what was he telling us about December the 25th? That was a, that was a day in the calendar in Rome. And I can't remember what it was a day for. The Roman calendar, December the 25th, was... Because I was watching it thinking, this is very interesting. I'm going to regurgitate some of this tomorrow morning so people are well aware. You need to go and get... It's only an hour, though. I wanted a longer programme. I felt a bit cheated. It was only the hour. But I shall watch it again to find out more things. But December the 25th in the Roman calendar was not... Christmas. They didn't. Uh, they didn't call it Christmas. But it was. It was. Sol was it solstice? I know it was solstice over here. 
Or did they think that was the birth of... No, they didn't think it was the birth of Christ because we've, we've worked out that it, uh, that it wasn't. Uh, anyway, I'm sure we shall find out later on. Many of you will know the answer to this. Uh, to this. Uh, so here she is, the attention-seeking poor Helen Flanagan. I mean, really, love, there's something the matter with you. Get some help, for God's sake. She goes out, you know, temperatures dropping in London, a date with her little footballer called Scott Sinclair. Sounds like a drag queen, but I promise you he's a footballer. And she goes out and she's... She's wearing a little skirt and a floral bra. I mean, I don't know whether or not you're, you're trying to sell the image that you're sort of really badly dressed or you're sad or you're lonely. I can't quite work it out, but she apparently went to a restaurant looking like that. I don't know. I can't think of any restaurant in, uh, in Mayfair that would let anybody in dressed like a hooker. I mean, seriously, you don't go out wearing a floral bra. I mean, floral bra, not underneath an outfit, a floral, just a floral bra with a little mini skirt and a sort of a jacket thing over the top, but the floral bra is clearly visible. I mean, either she's an attention seeker or she's a bit stupid. I can't quite work out why you'd walk through London dressed like that. Luckily, she had a photographer with her, so you know Helen Flanagan and her photographers. Also, a little picture, a little bit dated now, of poor Ola Jordan and uh, her useless husband. That's the one who didn't win the Armour Celebrity. In fact, they couldn't get rid of him quick enough. He didn't quite see that as uh, that at all. Uh, also, uh, oh, you know those um, those poor kids who lost both their parents? And I said yesterday, that was a story that touched us in this country. Quarter of a million pounds so far has come in on that, uh, on that site. This is the site, I think, just giving charge a commission. So in other words, there was an exposure in the papers a short while ago of all these sites. I think they, they charge, they make about 20 million a year just giving, which is, uh, there you go, how the fees work. Just giving takes a five percent fee from each donation. I mean, it, I mean, I don't. I'm sorry. I think they shouldn't charge anything at all. They make twenty million. Small wonder there's a lovely picture of the two people who seem to run it. Who? Um, so, in other words, they say, "Here's how we charge our five percent fee." You donate £10,000 and we send it to the charity that week. We reclaim gift aid from the government, which takes a month, adding £2.50 to your donation. We take our 5% fee from the donation and gift aid amount when we reclaim the gift aid on behalf of the charity. So for every £10 you give, the charity gets £11.74 and they get it faster. They also charge you for processing the card. And, um, and they're, they're sort of... You can imagine... On, it's 1.3% credit card, 16 pence MasterCard. If your donation isn't eligible for gift aid, we take our 5% fee from your donation. What? So in other words, if you're donating £10,000, they get 5% of that. Small wonder they're laughing. Small wonder they're laughing. Really. I mean, 85% of donations through just giving are eligible for gift aid. Charities always end up raising more with us. I don't think they do. They did a, a thing in the paper where they examined it. And it didn't look like that at all to me. It looked like you were getting worse. But they've got a quarter of a million quid for these children whose mum and dad, as you know, both died within a short uh, space of time of each other. They, um, uh, the father had cancer and the mother had cancer. The father died before the mother. And there was that touching picture in the paper, which I said really would have to be, you know, such a touch. Because nobody has a picture of that. I know. So 5%. So out of that 250,000, if there wasn't any gift aid, they'd have made 12,500 pounds out of somebody's misery. I don't like to think about that. I really don't, actually. But I like to think that we've given to these, uh, to these children. I think it'll go higher. Do you remember that boy who was dying and he raised millions? 
he raised millions because he was he was dying and people were very touched by it. And I think that's what we do in this country. We're very good and we're very generous. But I've said to you before, charity is a business. And that's why all the charity shops, and we've got way too many in Twickenham. The council should have stopped them ages ago because now it's killing the, uh, the high street. Absolutely killing. It's stone dead. News at five coming up very shortly. The vegan cafe who attack customers with vile rants. Don't bother coming in here again, you... Using the F word, I'm afraid. Uh, the cost at Costa, 20 pence up. Drinks rise has uh, raised a lot of annoyance with customers. You can go elsewhere, you know. You don't have to go to Costa. You can go to somewhere else. Uh, is Prue the new Queen of Bake Off? It would appear that she could be. Uh, to, uh, she's done two, in, uh, two auditions. The insult of having to audition somebody like Prue Leith. Uh, the train enthusiast going loco. The first train, steam train. Get your teeth in, Stephen. For 50 years. June Brown, 50th, no, 90th birthday celebrations. And uh, Alison Hammond and Ryan Clark lined up to present this morning. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, you're pretty nice to be company. Welcome to Tuesday. You managed to get over the excitement of Valentine's Day, did you? No, probably not. I saw people sort of fighting over the food in Marks and Spencers. They probably did it in all the other supermarkets as well and sort of had a romantic meal. But, you know, I don't think any food is romantic. I think that the only romantic thing is the person you're with and the amount of alcohol you've consumed. I don't think it ever comes down to food. I mean, who's ever going to get excited over fillet steak and peppercorn sauce? It's very nice, but it's not romantic, is it? Uh, I've got a great book for you later on. We always get, um, every time he he comes up with a new book, he always very kindly sends me a copy, because it's always to do with with history. And uh, this is, I'll tell you about it a little bit later on. This is uh, by uh, Dr Robert Bard and Adrian Miles. Adrian Miles, I think, is from the Museum of London, And the book is called London's Hidden Burial Grounds. And it's places that you will probably pass every day and you would have no idea that it was either a plague pit or that uh, bodies were buried there for years and years. And there are all sorts of little hidden places. It's one of those great books. If you love history and you love learning about the place and in London, you know, we do have quite a lot of hidden burial grounds. We have the burial grounds that we know about, like uh, Kensal Green, and, of course, we've got uh, Hampstead. You've got the places up there, uh, Highgate Cemetery, and you've got the catacombs, and they do tours and all that kind of thing. But these are places which aren't burial grounds anymore, but they were plague pits. Sometimes they didn't know what to do with bodies, and because they had an awful lot of problem with body snatchers, they used to bury people in metal coffins to try and deter the, uh, the the coffin and body snatchers, Burke and Hare, for example, who would go round because doctors didn't know how the human body worked. And the only thing they could do is take a dead body. And uh, sometimes they were stacked up all over the place. In fact, not far from here, there is a, a morgue where you probably pass it every day if you're around Covent Garden. And I bet you haven't even noticed it. The only sign of what it was was a crucifix over the door. It's in a little park, but it was where they used to stack bodies before they used to bury them. And until you read this book, you won't know about it. So we'll tell you about that later. Uh, Wally says, uh, Saturnalia, 25th of December, pagan Roman winter solstice. All right. No, it was something, I'm going to find out what it's called, because there was definitely some other name that they, that they came up with. And I remember thinking, that's, that's very interesting. But uh, this, uh, this documentary, uh, which is out on DVD, it's the hidden history of Rome. You know, from going into the Colosseum and from going under under into the cages and the lifts, which, you know, there's still little bits there, and going down 
into the catacombs, which is like, you know, you've got to be lowered down about 30 or 40 feet. Quite amazing. The story which you heard on the news is this evidence of linked to dementia. Uh, children heading footballs. I mean, luckily, I didn't do football at school. Um, I don't know what we did, actually. I think we did we did sport, but we didn't do football. And I certainly wouldn't be, you know, it's all those jokes about, on your head, mate, and all that kind of stuff. I never did that. And now they're saying in young people... It can be very dangerous. And they claim the FA have known of this link for years. Uh, They want to ban it in kids' games. They found brain damage in ex-pros. Three heroes of 66 have Alzheimer's. And they say, in fact, even, even a medic here says you should wait until you're 18 at least before you start heading balls off. Because, I mean, I've seen people do it. If you're very young and you start heading a ball off, that can damage your brain because you've only got thin haven't you? But uh, we need more analysis, I think, on it. But uh, they find this dementia link to footballs in the same way that you probably find exactly the same in in uh, people who do boxing. There would be the sign of... In fact, we've seen lots of boxers who've been on life support machines and all sorts of things because of boxing, because it's dangerous. Somebody starts punching you in the head. We had a guy the other day who hit somebody and he died as a result of a punch to the head. He died. Uh, Other stories of the papers for today. Kim Jong-un has his brother, well, it's his half-brother, assassinated by a female spy with a poisoned face cloth. It it, it, It really is James Bond, isn't it? It really is, you know, spies and... Uh, Olga Kleb or whatever her name was who had that shoe which she could, there was a flick knife in it and she pushed a little button and the flick knife came out and she tried to kick people's legs because it had poison on the end of it and uh, we know that the Russians have developed all sorts of things which kill people and in the case of Kim Jong-un I should imagine he's probably got access to similar sorts of things but they've got these females who do it they're his sort of elite core and presumably they just travel quite normally because they look like normal people as indeed do anybody like that you know people who go out to commit acts of murder they they don't go out with murderer written over cross their forehead they go out there because they just look uh, normal uh, notorious lag this is the rather dreary uh, charles bronson not his real name proposes to his girlfriend with a song and um his uh, his new girlfriend, and she's obviously one of these people who's attracted to people like that. She says, we're soulmates. I'm proud that I'll soon be his wife. We couldn't give a stuff, darling. I really couldn't care less. It's really of no interest to anybody. He's he's so boring and so dull. You know, I mean, really, if you think that, that's it. I mean, it's given you a little bit of, uh, little bit of you know, celebrityism, because apparently she's an actress and she's been in things like Coronation Street and, and Emmerdale, but you won't have heard of her. You won't even know who she is, but you do now. So at least it takes away from that boring person who won the lottery, doesn't it? And then sort of complained about it. Uh, Here's Kate. Yes, the Duchess of Cambridge getting all the attention with the RAF cadets. They look very excited. She hitched up her skinny jeans before playing a game where trainees had to jump forward or stay still, depending on what their instructor shouted. Luckily, she was wearing a £760 blazer and uh, she was at uh, RAF Wittering in Peterborough in in her role as patron of the air cadets. Really? It's a, I mean, they look a bit young, don't they, these people? The air cadets. I mean, one of them, he looks barely out of rompers. Ridiculous. But anyway, Air Commodore Dawn McCavity said, the way she joined in, she's obviously game for a laugh. Of course she is. She's married into the royal family. <laughs> Come on. You don't marry into them if you really want to sort of be a normal person. It's completely different. But anyway, she's game for a laugh. Why do they invent these sort of stupid slogans? It's like Harry. Always oh, a bit of an old joker, isn't he? And stuff like that. There was an interview with uh, with Matt Goss, an old one from this morning, 
with Pip Schofield and Holly Willoughby, where Matt's wearing just one of the most outrageous suits I've ever seen in my life. Perhaps in America they wear stuff like that, but really not over here. And he called it a whistle and flute because he's like, you know, Mockney. And, um, and, 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 and then I flipped on to something else where he was on that. It was a celebrity programme where they asked people questions, you know. So like, what's your, what, who, who, who's your favourite actor? And it's like James Dean. And, and then they said, do you, do you tell jokes? Uh, yeah, after I've had a few drinks. It was the most boring interview I've ever seen in my entire life with, with, a, with a faceless person. It's, you know, he's talking to a television and they've both done it. In fact, Luke's interview with uh, Richard and Judy on this morning when they were up in Liverpool was much better, actually. Matt's was just dull. I mean, really, really, but no spark of excitement or, yeah, get up and go or, you know, so they're on stage. And, of course, they haven't done that for such a long time. So we'll wait and see. I'm still looking forward to it. Still looking forward to the concerts. Will I be there? You'll have to wait and find out. Uh, Alison Phillips talking about um, billionaire heiress Tamara Eccleston, the one who didn't know what toast was caused a right brouhaha by posting pictures of herself breastfeeding her almost three-year-old daughter. Generally, says Alison Phillips, I reckon they're old enough to ask for it. They're too old to suck it. And clearly there's no nutritional value to breastfeeding when a child is old enough to tuck into steak and chips, but to each their own. She says, what I do think is properly strange, though, is Tamara hiring a professional photographer to take seemingly airbrushed snaps of her breastfeeding in full hair and makeup and design a frock because this feels a lot less about normalising nurture and a lot more about old-fashioned showing off. Oh, she's always been a show-off. <laughs> Don't ever doubt the fact that Tamara Eccleston was a show-off. You know, she does things, and you can't believe the simplicity of her. Seriously, it's like, oh, look, the sky's blue. Is it really? Yeah, the sky's blue today, Tamara. Whoa. Get a picture in. Yeah, so she gets in a professional photographer to take a picture of her breastfeeding. Poor soul. Honestly, you feel a bit sorry for her, but I'm sure she's very happy. It's not the money. It's just the ignorance that goes with it. Uh, more on the second date from this woman who, I mean, to be honest with you, fashion designer, I've never heard of her, but there again, there must be loads of fashion designers that Steve Allen has never heard of. And she's Lucy Brown, and she's she's average. You know, I mean, in terms of sort of looks. I mean, as I said to you, listen, if you're single on Valentine's Day, there's a reason, OK? Because you're obviously not attractive, you have no personality, and you've got no money. Because Valentine's Day, I mean, all the people at work, the attractive ones. And you know who they are. You don't have to have them pointed out to you. There are unattractive people at work, thank God. But there are levels of unattractiveness. I'm not an attractive person. But luckily, I have a fantastic personality and I've got a little bit of money. So I'm actually in prime pole position to pull Tamara Eccleston, you know, if I so desired. But I'm not really interested. But then there are other people who are never going to have any looks. They're never going to have, you know, a personality. And uh, they're always going to have the money, but it just doesn't help, does it? You've got to have the full package. So when I look at the fashion designer, Lucy Brown, Lucy Brown doesn't look as though she's got the full package here. And that's just based on looks, because I'm, I'm a person who bases things on looks. You know, I have to, because, you know, there was an opportunity, I should imagine, in my dim and distant past that I could have gone out with, you know, sort of various politicians. But I chose not to. You know, I think some people are better by themselves and some people have written into the newspapers saying, listen, who cares about who, who goes out with whom? It doesn't make any difference in this day and age. It really doesn't. It's about the Queen looks fantastic and goes out the other day at the age of 90 and takes Prince Philip. He trots along with her. And they're still... They went to the National Cyber Security Centre. Do you think she's got the faintest idea where she was? Do you think she's got the faintest... I shouldn't think so. Even I didn't know what it was. I was uh, intrigued. 
by the fact that they managed to get both of them there. A bit of a coup. Probably something that costs a small fortune, I should imagine. And it's there so that we can sort of stop people hacking into our accounts. And I suppose Buckingham Palace is no different to, to anybody else. Oh, the uh, the dam in America. I knew you were going to ask me about it. It's uh, apparently been a little bit downgraded because they managed to siphon off more water elsewhere. So that's quite good. So they've, they've allowed people to go back to their homes. Uh, but they've said, just be aware that they've, they've got a lot of rain over there and it might get uh, might get bad again. So... Uh, that's uh, that was a bit worrying when we saw all that water on the news the other day. I mean, I have to be honest, I did I did look at it and did think, my goodness me, terrible. Uh, the pension call for a crook will leave you cold. The over fifty five still being duped. We'll tell you about that very shortly. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, every five twenty. Apparently, December twenty fifth was the birth date of Mithras, and then there was uh, I think that was a religion as well, wasn't it? Uh, Mithraism. I think that was the uh, that was the religion. Um, so it could have been the birth date of Mithras. I don't know. Because I remember seeing under the under this Roman thing, uh, there was a temple underground. But I mean, way, way, way underground, almost like you sort of. So Mithraism um, was centered, practiced in the Roman Empire from the first to the fourth century. Uh, Worshippers of Mithras had a complex system of seven grades of initiation, uh, united by a hand. Shake. They met in underground temples called Mithraea, which survive in large numbers. And the centre was in was in Rome. But it was always involved. And that's the bit I remember. In every one of the pictures, because they open the door and there's this painted thing, which dates back to like the first century. And there's a bull being slaughtered in every one of their scenes. You know, there's sort of either somebody cutting a bull's neck or something like that. And... Um, I mean, it's it's a little bit problematical to try and sort of work out exactly what it was. But uh, there's always somebody being killed and it's always an animal that's being killed. But all this stuff exists. It's underground. It's under, I mean, some of it, God knows how much more there is to discover. And that's what I love. Anything to do with underground, anything to do with, you know, hidden tunnels, anything to do with secret caves, anything to do with anything like that. I absolutely love. Uh, the cafe owner's crazy rant. It's a vegan cafe. It might be called the Goat Cafe. I don't know. I don't know where it is. But they attack customers with online rants. The owners, Matt Ward and Dawn Silver, asked another one who had complained about it, when exactly are you going to die? Which, of course, I mean, it's an impossible question. Nobody knows the answer to that one. Nobody. But um, they they basically told them to, to go and uh, don't bother replying again. They're, they're, they're slightly odd, but I don't know where this... this oh, it's in Huddersfield. Um, they were going internet-free. They posted that their goat cafe in Huddersfield was going internet-free. Matt and Dawn, who claimed to be behind the sweary posts, made the decision after some customers complained they couldn't access Wi-Fi in the restaurant. I was going on the bus the other day and managed to access Starbucks Wi-Fi coming to Waterloo Bridge. Go away, stop infiltrating my telephone. I don't want to be with Starbucks, thank you very much, Sheed. When some complained online, the pair wrote, we don't want you in anyway. And uh, anyway, you'd be surprised to know that the cafe, which opened a year ago, was closed for essential rewiring. And uh, surprisingly, Matt Ward was not available for comment. You'd have thought he'd have come up with something, wouldn't you? I mean, something a bit more interesting than I'm not available for comment. I mean, come on, goodness sake. I mean, I've never been in a vegan restaurant. I really, uh, I really haven't. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Steve, I can't stop help laughing at your analysis of Valentine's Day. There is no analysis. There is no such thing. It's just a, it's a, a thing about, you know, you're supposed to fall in love with somebody. <laughs> what do you want to take him out for dinner for? 
take them back home, turn the bed sheets down. Hello. You know, that's what it's all about. It's not about holding hands. There is a couple in the paper today, though, ladies and gentlemen, and they've been in love for 75 years. Seven, don't you just hate people like that? Hate people who can make a relationship last that long. I can't make them last 75. Who cares? Honestly, 75 minutes would be way too long. Way too long for a relationship. What's the point? I think the only people who sort of get upset about not having a date, as I say, are people who probably never had a date for Valentine's Day. Because it's just, it's one of those things that you have to work at a relationship. And frankly, I haven't got the time or the inclination. I couldn't be bothered. I really couldn't be bothered. I'm just as happy to sit in and have a camembert and tomato tart, provided she's still available. And, um, you know, and I'd, I'd be more than happy to do that. It doesn't bother me. And yet people panic over it. But of course, today's the day that you should be celebrating Valentine's Day. Loads of cheap flowers, ladies and gentlemen. Loads of cheap flowers and cheap chocolates. You'll be finding out there. So just go round and take full advantage. You know, it's like Christmas time. Don't buy presents for Christmas Day. Just tell the kids that Father Christmas hasn't got any. You're an ungrateful little so-and-so. And you'll get them on Boxing Day. And they just go to the sales and buy it. They don't know. If they're up to the age of four, they haven't got the faintest idea what Christmas is. They don't know. Even five, you could probably push it. And six, you go, Father Christmas isn't visiting our house this year. He said he's going to be here tomorrow. That's good, isn't it? They don't know. And don't buy presents for babies. They've got no idea. Just put paper, rip paper, rip paper, rip paper. That's it. That's all they do. Which is uh, very sad, isn't it, really? Here's a picture of um, Strictly Sun Dancing. This is Camilla jiving with Arthur Edwards. I really don't think this should be seen in the papers. Um, you know, you're either a member of the royal family or you're dancing with a, with a press photographer. You know, whilst, uh, whilst Arthur Edwards is charming and lovely, I don't think Camilla Parker Bowles should be dancing with him. You know, she's married to Charles, for goodness sake. Although actually didn't seem to make any difference. Um, da, 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 da. After protests over the asylum cap, don't compare taking in child migrants to Holocaust refugees. And uh, they've said that Diane Abbott's offensive. I think everybody says Diane Abbott's offensive. I'm trying to find somebody who likes Diane Abbott. It's kind of difficult. It is kind of difficult to actually find people that warm to her, apart from little Shami Chakrabarti. But there again, nobody takes any notice of what Shami Chakrabarti does anymore. Um, what have we got here? We've got... Um, a nice picture of Christy Brinkley at 63. Uh, Jane Moore. Jane Moore looks great. Seriously. Oh, incidentally, today on Loose Swimming, guess who they've got? Come on. Who's our, who's our most hated person at the moment? Who's the person who's so stupid she could probably trip over her own shadow? The Lotto Girl from four years ago. Oh, the Lotto ruined me. I'm awful. I'm going to sue Camelot. Can't wait to see who the panel is on Loose Swimming and which one of the dreary old bags on there is going to be saying, Oh, poor you. Whereas, in fact, anybody, if it was if it was Janet Street Porter, much as though, you know, the poor old soul is past her sell-by, she'd be having a go at her saying, what'd you buy a ticket for then in the first place? Because it would be absolutely shameful if the loose women, and let's face it, if you've got Colleen on the panel, I mean, she's just boring anyway. She was boring in the Big Brother house. She's boring on the panel. They need to replace her with something. Get somebody feisty in. Somebody who can argue. You know, somebody who can really argue. Ian Dale could argue. He was arguing the other day. We were listening to that trail on LBC. My goodness me. I mean, he was having a right go. at said, don't upset him. For God's sake, he's unbearable. He, re- he really lets rip, which I like, I like that, actually. <laughs> there are certain people that I like arguing. And I could probably cope with that quite, uh, quite well. Um, so uh, if she's on Loose Women today, I might have to watch that. Just to annoy myself. Just so I can see how irritating she really is. Because she's obviously got an agent. 
they're, they're trying to sort of foist her on us in some way. But uh, as it's such an old story, she should have been on Loose Women about four days ago. But obviously the producers are not particularly good at booking guests in advance. Or she's been too booked up doing things, perhaps going out buying designer clothes or something like that. But uh, either way, she's going to be today's irritant. So there you go. Uh, we've got a great um, cat cafe, says Glenis, called Mog on the Tyne. Thank you. What's a cat cafe? I'm not going back to that load of cats. Cuddle them. You don't cuddle cats. Cats decide if they want to be your friend. If they don't want to be your friend, you're lonely. You know, cats say that. You know, cuddle me, cuddle me. You don't cuddle me and feed me. Feed me. If you don't feed me, I'm going to leave you. And you're going to sit there all depressed and all sad because I'm a cat and I do what I want to do. Would I like to go outside? No, I don't. Why don't you want to go outside? It's raining. Do I look like I want to go outside? Our cat used to hate it. My father, the, the, he don't open the back door at night. You know, he'd be standing there in his dressing gown and pyjamas. And, and he'd open the door for the cat to go out. And the cat would look at him like, are you having a laugh or something? And in the end, we had to sort of push her out the door. And she'd, she'd practically slide out of the back door on her bottom. She had no intention of going out. And she'd look at us and then she'd run for the car parked at the, uh, at the back. And she'd sit underneath the car and just stare at us. My father used to feel a bit guilty about it. They don't want to go out at night, cat. If they want to go out, they'll go out. If they don't want to go out, they won't go out. If they don't want to eat their food, they won't eat their food. If they don't want to talk to you, they won't talk to you. If they just want to, you know, it's a case of just leave me, I'm sleeping. Probably for about the next eight hours. I shall do what I want to do. Do you want to go out and play with other cats? No, I don't. No, I'm much rather annoying you in here. But if you keep pushing me, I'm going to leave you and I shall leave you for days on end. And you'll never know. And you'll have to put a notice on a lamppost saying, has anybody seen my pussycat? And I shall hide and you'll never find me ever again until you agree that I'm the boss running the household. Dogs are different. Dogs are just very grateful. They're, they're sort of grateful just to have friends, full stop. Hello, I want to be your friend because you're going to feed me. Cats couldn't care less. They get food elsewhere. They eat mice and squirrels and stuff like that. Quite disgusting, quite disgusting. Uh, the winter warmer, Britain could see temperatures nudging 16 degrees from tomorrow. Thank God for that. Uh, this is following a, a weekend of snow for millions. We didn't get any snow. We didn't get any snow. We just got tiddly bit. It was nothing worth worrying about, was it? I was almost disappointed, but at the same time, grateful. I love looking at pictures of of snow, and I think some villages in this country look absolutely beautiful, but the moment cars start driving on it, it looks horrible. As kids, when it snowed in Yorkshire, we, we couldn't wait to get the toboggan out and go dragging it over the fields, but there were hardly any cars. I mean, you know, you could go, you could go hours and hours without seeing a car. You'd see tractors in the village where we were, but you wouldn't see anything else. And we used to love it. And then you'd go in, and then your feet would be like ice blocks. And then you, and then you take your your Wellington boots off, because when you were little, you had Wellington boots and tracksuits. Me and my brother had matching tracksuits, matching scarves and matching woolly hats. God, I mean, honestly, it looked ridiculous. I was 47. And, um, and, you'd, have these, and you'd get in there and your feet would have all ice all over them. <laughs> How we survived, I'll never know. How we survived, I will never know. But we did, thankfully, and we ate from the, uh, from the ground. We dropped food on the ground, you just picked it up and put it in your mouth. We had the hose in the garden, went in your mouth, you swallowed the water. Nobody died. Nobody died. Uh, what else we got today? Oh, Costa. And also the woman who goes to court. She wants a divorce from her husband. She's had enough. And the judge refuses the divorce. I mean, what sort of country are we in now? Where I'm sorry, I don't want to be with him. Well, you've just had a few tips. I don't want to be with him. And the judge said no. Um, there's a £5 million fortune through mushroom farming, apparently. But uh, he refused her bid for freedom after concluding the farmer was simply old school. 
I'm sorry, I want a divorce. What the hell's it got to do with the judge? I want a divorce. I couldn't care less whether you approve of it. You marry him then. I want a divorce. No, I'm not going to grant you a divorce. I want a divorce. God, dear me, honestly. You do give up, don't you, half the time. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, you're really nice to be company. Uh, Steve, LBC's Katie Hopkins, would destroy anybody on Loose Women. Absol- that's why they don't put her on there. Mainly because the majority of the Loose Women panel are a bit drippy, like Colleen Nolan. If she's not pouring some poor male celebrity on there, she's sort of thinking she's funny, which of course she wasn't. If only we'd seen evidence of that on Big Brother. But she did win, but what's it done for her? Zero. Absolutely zilch. Absolutely zilch. But uh, Katie Hopkins would certainly destroy that, uh, that lottery winner. But what do you mean you bought a ticket for it? Well, you've spent the money and now you're complaining about it. Are you just desperately lonely or attention-seeking? Yeah. The answer is attention-seeking. Seeking? It's my new word. Seeking. What do you do today? I'm seeking. Um, I see Vinnie Jones is going to... They laughingly call him an actor. I can't remember the last thing Vinnie Jones acted in. How many years ago was that, for goodness sake? He was a bit, it's a bit like Helen Flanagan on Coronation Street. Overacting, I think, would be... I mean, she can't act. She's been doing it since she was seven. But, you know, still hasn't kind of got it right. But uh, ask her to pose on a freezing cold night in just a very short skirt and a bra, and that's about it, then she'll happily do it for a photograph. I mean, perhaps she thinks that's a career move. Didn't work last time, did it? I did warn her. I have offered the advice that, you know, people don't, don't think of you very well at all. They just see you as being cheap. And that's not a good thing to be thinking of. You know, as I say, you don't find any of our great actors going around in their bra and pants, do you? But, of course, Helen Flanagan, not really an actor, I suppose, you know. And um, so Vinnie, Vinnie Jones is going to be advertising crisps. Apparently, they, they, the companies say um, the no-nonsense taste and classic crunch is ideal for him. Really? I would have thought a failed company would be the best thing for him. Poor old Vinnie Jones. I mean, what's the point? Vinnie Jones. I mean, what do you think of when you think of Vinnie Jones? Answer, nothing. A very boring, dull person. Perhaps they're going for some sort of image. Or he's sitting at home and his agent's gone, there's nothing for you, mate. He goes, oh, can I do crisps? Gary Lineker does crisps. Oh, I'll see if I can find you something. That uh, won't be easy. Uh, we found a man still working 80 years on, which is good. He's 93. I'm sure he's the same one we found the other week. And they, they keep re- reprinting these uh, these things. And so here he is. He did actually, he works for Sainsbury's. He did gov up some years ago. He lasted six weeks. And then he said, can I come back? And they basically said, what for? And he said, well, I'm bored. And so they, um, they, they took him back on. They say he's in it. They all say that, don't they? When somebody's 93 and could go at any minute, they always go, he's such an inspiration to the staff. You think the staff are going, oh, for God's sake, he's 93. He's mad as a crumpet. Goodness sake. Uh, somebody's talking about uh, uh, flu. Everybody's sniffing at the moment, says, uh, says Jan. They do that, though, don't they? Once one starts, they also... I tell you, I can't bear. It's people who sort of blow their nose in front of you. I don't know why. I've got a funny thing about that. You know, somebody gets out and you think, oh, disgusting. Can't you go somewhere and go and do that? Not very nice at all. And uh, listening to the new Dawn Chorus, uh, once one starts, drives me mad. Haven't people heard of Hanky, says Jan. Some people haven't. Oh, I see what you mean. So people sit like that on the train. You think, get a hanky out. Get a hanky out. Go to the toilet, pick up some tissue, do something. I love hankies. Never a day goes by where I do not pick up a fresh hanky. I li- I've, I've become as obsessed with handkerchiefs as I have with socks. I love a fresh hanky. 
And uh, and they're nice when they're fresh. Once you've sort of used them a few times, then you wash them. They don't look as exciting. And uh, because I don't possess an ironing board, I know. I'm one of those rare creatures in this world that really, you know, some people iron in front of the television. I cannot be bothered. There's companies that do that for you. And so I take my stuff to my friend Thomas and he washes and irons my shirts. I can just about manage to do uh, pillowcases and pants and things like that and towels. But that's that's the extent of it. Uh, 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. So please, just for the sake of Jan in Bromley, if you're sitting on the train and you're thinking of sniffing, can you remember not to? It's very rude. There was a woman sitting on the train the other day. She was doing her full makeup again. And everybody looks at it. I mean, I sort of look at people and go, really? And there's some poor head of a school here, Christine Wright. She's 60. She's been forced to take early retirement. Why? She's a naturist. And they've got a picture of her um, refusing to give up her hobby. She appears completely starkers in a Channel 4 documentary on naturism. What is that? I mean, I don't want to be rude. And I'm not a prude in any way, shape or form. I mean, we all take our clothes off to have a shower. But I mean, I wouldn't dream of walking in here with no clothes on. You know, that but people would just laugh. You know, I'd laugh, to be honest with you. But I just wouldn't do it. And you think, why do people want to be naturists? What is it? I mean, do you just like looking at other people's bits? Is that what it comes down to? Because, I mean, if, if we're going for that, well, then let's go for office naturism day here. I should recommend that everybody's got to come in, start naked. Do you think anybody would do it? Of course, they would. there's always going to be somebody. There's always going to be a show off somewhere who's going to want to walk through the office naked. And we're all going to go show off. You know, that'll be it. But, you know, so she appears on a programme defending her passion in the great British skinny dip. She says, um... Many people have the wrong idea about it. No, no, we just think it's a lot of wobbly feet people going out there showing their bits off. We don't have the wrong idea about it. She, th- she said she thinks it could be linked to paedophilia. She said, I've kept most of my private life private because most teachers do. Not going on a television programme is going to help, though, is it, really? And also taking... I mean, the trouble is most of us, and I say there's probably a lot of you listening who are desperately unattractive, and, you know, you, you know that unless you've got the perfect body... If you're a bloke... And you're like me, over the age of 35, just, you know, you sort of get to that stage where you just, your body doesn't look great. You know, I'm not a model. I don't have a washboard stomach and I've got a complete kitchen set down here. But it's, you just don't want to show people off. I'm, I'm in, in a way a little bit envious of people who can walk down the high street in the summer with their shirt off. And on the other hand, I think I'd never, if somebody said, I'll offer you £500,000 to walk down the street with your shirt off, there's no chance. Seriously, I'd have to give the money away to somebody because I just couldn't do it. And yet some people have no shame they will do that. So she's obviously proud of being a naturist. I don't understand. I remember going to a sauna in, in Austria with a friend of mine. We both worked for a radio station out in, in Vienna, as Paul Hollingdale knows. And, uh, and we go out to a place called Sievering. And it was in the middle of winter. And we go to a hotel called the Panhans. We went, <coughs> went there for, uh, for dinner. But before dinner, we went for a sauna. And we're sitting in the sauna. And the Austrians, like most people have saunas in these ice cold countries, you sort of you sit in the sauna, very hot, you're hot, 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 hot. And then you open the door and run outside and roll in the snow or you jump into an ice cold plunge pool. I don't think so. I'm British. We don't do stuff like that. So we are sitting in the sauna, me and my friend, and we're just chatting away about, you know, the weather and usual sort of rubbish things. And the door opens and this family walk in. Mum, dad, son, daughter. The kids were about 14 or 15. And immediately, because we're not used to this kind of thing. We're not used to this kind of thing. So our conversation stops completely. 
as we sort of look at this family. And they, you know, apart from the fact I never would have sat anywhere with my parents stark naked, thank you very much indeed. I had no interest in that whatsoever. And yet some people seem to think it's OK, which is which is fine. But we didn't know where to look. You don't like to stare in case they go, what are you staring at? And so, so we, we spent most of the time staring at the ceiling, counting the, uh, the piece of wood across the ceiling. But after I'd done that for five minutes, you cut, your eyes sort of come down. You think, yeah. and you, you don't want to catch their eyes. And they obviously wanted to start a conversation with us. And I'm thinking, no, no, don't talk to us, please. It means we might have to stand up in a minute. And you sit there, you know, with your legs crossed, trying to hide everything. And, um, and in the end, we, we just had to leave. Because it was just too embarrassing. And yet you get naturists who go out and they go onto these programmes. And yet they never show you anything on the naturist programmes. For some reason, we're obviously offended by naked people because they always pixelate little bits of their body. Or in this particular head teachers, quite a lot of her body would be pixelated because there's quite a lot of it. You know, and you think to yourself, why, why do we go out there and want to show our bodies off to people? I don't quite understand. I can understand climbing into bed and maybe not having clothes on and just a, a smidgen of aftershave or Chanel number no. 5. But I don't quite understand why you want to go out, you know, and, and people want to sit in Naturist Club. What is the purpose of it? What is the purpose? There's no surprise, is there, really? I thought the whole idea, if you're going out with somebody, you like a bit of a surprise when they take their clothes off. You know, that's a bit of, go on, take, take your clothes off. You know, or you take... Their, their clothes off, and that's the surprise. But, you know, you go to a naturist club, there is no surprise. It's, it's all on display. Uh, a double-page spread in the paper uh, of this, uh, this mum and dad who died within a short space of each other. And you won't see pictures like this because we don't take pictures of people who are dying, generally. Uh, in this particular case, of these three children, to lose mum and dad... Is heartbreaking, but luckily we as a country have gone, do you know, we, we're going to make sure that we give you some money and, you know, we're going to make sure that you get through your education and everything else because nothing prepares you for losing a parent. Seriously, nothing. It doesn't matter what age you get to, nothing will ever prepare you. When somebody says, you know, uh, so-and-so's got this or they've got that and it's terminal, you kind of... You know, you kind of have to sort of get to grips with it. And it, you have to grow up very quickly. And it's very, very difficult. So for this country to raise £230,000 for these three three kids is amazing. I think it'll go a lot higher. I think it will go a lot higher. And so what they've said is they, they want to show the same bravery that their mum and dad did fighting cancer. Because I don't know how I'd behave if somebody said to me, which they might in the future, I think they say, was it one in eight or something, we will get cancer at some point in our life. And I'm quite grateful that I've got, you know, to this stage in my life and I've managed to avoid things like that. Got the rest of it, but just don't have the uh, the really uh, awful thing, although you can live with cancer. And so for them to say this, I mean, they're quite clearly wonderful children. And I hope, I hope beyond hope that their parents, wherever they are, sitting on a cloud or whatever, I think are looking down going, I think they'll cope. They'll miss us like, like crazy. Miss you like mad. But I think they will they will show the same sort of bravery that their parents showed. As I say, how any of us would cope when you're told something like that. And you look at this picture and um, he was he was dying and he, he went, I think, a, about a week after this picture was taken. And she was going as well. But they held hands because you're facing something that is so enormous you can't imagine. And that's why we've gone we've gone crackers for these kids. You know, we want to make sure that I think the oldest is is 21 but they don't have anybody near them who can sort of look after them. So hopefully something will be sorted out. And so far, 230,000. I reckon by the time we get to the weekend, I reckon we're going to be pushing 400,000 pounds 
if not more, because that's that's what it's about. We will help other people if we think they need our help. And these kids need our help. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome along to Wednesday, the 15th. And as I say, today, good day today for buying roses. There'll be loads of cheap roses out there because I couldn't flog them yesterday. So today you should be getting... If they haven't reduced them, don't buy them. They will reduce them. Don't worry. They'll have to. Otherwise, they just have to throw them out, don't they? Uh, Tesco. Pack of mum's shopping items. 36 of them. They put them in 24 plastic bags. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard of. Uh, And so she said, I won't be making that mistake again. It was Tesco Click and Collect. So when she turns up, she's ordered 36 shopping items. They're in 24 plastic bags. She's spread them out in her kitchen. Uh, One of the carriers contained a single potato and two pieces of cucumber. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? A third contained a box of grapes. Uh, Another bag had a box of strawberries and a fourth was used to transport a toddler's instant meal. Each meat item was bagged separately, but cupboard items and household items were each crammed into one bag. So uh, Tesco says we we always try to uh, use as few bags as possible. Not in this case, then. Not in this case. Who was the idiot who packed 36 shopping items in 24 plastic bags? They say the store will take a little extra care in future. We are in the year 2017 now. We should have got it right, shouldn't we, really, Tesco? I mean, there's not enough room for, for idiots to start packing things in. Oh, lovely picture. The Chuff of Dreams. It's a steam train. And there's nothing nicer than a steam train. I could quite happily... And the, the enthusiasts are out. They're all out there. All the, all the old chuffers. And this is... It's lovely. It was, it was built, I think, back in the 60s. This It cost about three million quid. And there's enthusiasts who go out there and look after... Steam trains. And in certain parts of this beautiful land of ours, you can get and go over viaducts. And it's just it's just better. It's just better. You know, I mean, whenever we've seen the steam trains coming out of London, you know, it is a sight for sore eyes. You do get a wee bit excited about it. So when I see a nice picture here of a steam train heading over with the steam billowing out the tops, fantastic. Oh, incidentally, contrary to what everybody tells you, let me just mention to the mayor, Sadiq Khan, that uh, the majority of pollution comes from the underground train. There is more pollution from underground trains than sitting in your car. That's why people want to sit in the car, don't they? That's why they make it expensive, because they can't bother to be sorting out the uh, the underground train. Uh, Anna says there is the naked rambler. He always ended up in prison. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to walk down the street, do you, with somebody walking naked in front of you? Dear Lord above. Simon in Sutton says that naturism is a, naturism is a great, free, comfortable life choice. Yeah. Yeah, but why? I mean, I'm quite I quite understand the fact that people want to walk around naked and sunbathe in their garden and stuff like that. But why? What what's the appeal? Uh, He says naturists do not compare each other's clothing. Well, quite clearly not, because they're not wearing any clothing. Naturism blends through all the social groups, race, religion, social status enjoyed by all. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I don't think I don't think it cuts. Well, what's but what's the point of it? So you all stand there, start naked, having a normal conversation about the price of pickled onions or something. I mean, what, what do people talk about? Uh, Steve, I'm a lover of ironing, says Michael. Sunday I get the ironing board out, a few bottles of something, and watch all the programmes I've recorded. And that's my afternoon sorted. It's fantastic. Lovely. Uh, Martin says, over 30, your body goes downhill. Speak for yourself, Steve. I'm 39 with the body of a god. OK, it's Buddha, but a god is a god. Yes, I have a little Buddha at home, actually, a little jade Buddha. 
And uh, Jason, my sovereign driver, is back from Blackpool after my weekend away. Big magic show taking place this week. Yes, it's the Blackpool Magicians again. So it's a little private club that they uh, they make an absolute fortune. They argue among themselves constantly, as you can well imagine. Morning to Barbara, my boss. It's always good to keep in with the boss, isn't it? Even on a morning. Oh, I must tell you about this book. Because if, if you live in, in London, uh, we have so much history under our feet. And it doesn't matter where you live in the country, we've got, we've got history. But if there's one thing I'm always interested in, it's what goes on over the years. And in the case of London, we have graveyards. Uh, and we, in fact, we have hidden burial grounds. You wouldn't even know that they existed. You would have no idea until I point you in the direction of a book by Dr Robert Bard and Adrian Miles. And this book is called, quite appropriately, London's Hidden Burial Grounds. And it looks at all the places in the capital. And there's everything here. I mean, absolutely everything. St Catherine's Dock, uh, Aldgate, Drury Lane up the road. Uh, There's all sorts of places. There's also a Friends Burial Ground there's uh, a nice one here, a courtyard in Harp Alley, where burials from St Bride's Church lay. Uh, also the communal vault at St Bride's Lower Churchyard. It's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to go through the capital and discover, because we had the plague, uh, also we didn't have a lot of room. And because you had to try and work out, <coughs> excuse me, which was safe, a lot of the little burial grounds were private. And they packed them in there, but they also had a night watchman, and he'd be there to deter people from coming and digging up your loved ones and whisking them off to sell them to a doctor. And so this book looks at these these places in the capital and all these hundreds of generations of Londoners who lie beneath our city without us knowing. I mean, over the centuries, burial grounds have been developed, built over and then forgotten, often beneath playgrounds, gardens or car park. And of course, when the development takes place, they all of a sudden start uncovering the remains and we are reminded of uh, of a london that's long since disappeared so check it's only a, it's only a little book it's only a little book but it's got everything in there including here the site of a quaker burial ground southwark they've got uh burial grounds here where they've still got the the coffins and the college burial ground which has uh, been destroyed really by the the railways but they've got pictures of it and at crossbones burial ground They've got layers of bones, literally people on top of people on top of people on top of people. And uh, really, even Sheen, the burial ground there, you can, you can see it quite clearly. It's fascinating. All parts of London, <coughs> excuse me, even up at Drury Lane, just up the road, there is a little chapel which was used for putting the bodies in before they buried them. And sometimes they had to do it at night because they were burying people on top of people. You know, none of this sort of all... all neatly laid out i think even at was it westminster abbey or one of those um monks there died a lot of them about 25 they all got just got buried in the same place and in fact during the uh, the plague and the black death we were just burying people in pits there were plague pits all over the place and uh, with the help of that book it'll tell you exactly where they are some of them are children's playgrounds and what they did they put the bodies in covered them with lime slaked lime and then just piled people in on top Terrible, really, isn't it? 84850, Steve at uk. The Bluebell Railway, says Niall, out of East Grinstead, is a great way of uh, riding on a steam train. Adults enjoy it as much as children. Oh, absolutely. oh, I think it's more adults that enjoy it. I think so, too. People who tell you it was uh, so much better. Uh, Steve, there isn't a, a day that goes by, says Paula, that I don't miss my mum. She passed away six and a half years ago. 
But uh, there's always tears in my eyes because it's so unfair to what these children must be going through at this time. Well, I still think about my mother after 25 years. After 25 years, you would think, you know, 25... No, no, I can still get... <laughs> ask anybody who's been to any of the one-man shows. I only have to talk about my mother. And uh, funnily enough, only my mother, not my father. Isn't that bizarre? Explain that one to me. I've got no idea. But that's why I think we as, as, a, as a country are sort of getting behind these kids and going, you know, to lose one parent is bad enough. To lose two within a very short space of time, is something that I think has affected people. And even people who don't have very much money have said, listen, I don't have... A, there's one lady, she, I don't have any money, but I'll knit something like a beautiful jumper and then they can auction it. And, and that's what people... That's what we do. That's what we do. And we do it very well. So when we, we try and appeal to people and say, listen, you know, they don't have anything. They weren't, they weren't hugely provided for at all. And it's gone up that much, this amount of money. That's not, it's not a great deal when you think about it. And all sorts of ordinary people have given money. And that's not, that, that makes me feel quite, quite pleased about everything, actually. With all the misery that's going on, you know, and the problems that we complain about. You know, nothing compared to what they're actually going through. Or anybody else in a similar situation. John says, I can remember as a child getting on a steam train to Portsmouth Harbour for the Isle of Wight. Sliding the window down, sticking your head out the window and getting smoke in your face. You could do it on the underground as well. You go and look at some of the early underground trains, which they've got in the London Transport Museum, and the windows slid down. But of course, I mean, a lot of people didn't do it because you've got all the smog and the bits coming in. And you'd go, close the wind. Hello? Mind you, you could smoke on the trains in those days. I can remember getting on buses, smoking. I can remember getting on a tube train, smoking. Because they used to have those wooden slatted floors and you'd sort of drop your... I mean, everybody smoked. How on earth we got through from one day to the next? I've got no idea. But, uh, but we smoked on buses. And then all of a sudden, when they bring in the smoking ban, and people go, never make that stick. Amazing, isn't it? You see people standing outside offices. People, you know, standing outside banks, freezing cold, umbrella over their head. <sighs> smoking away. Because if you're, if you're addicted to, uh, to smoking, then you, you're kind of addicted to smoking. You don't really know... What else to do? And I mean, I, I would, you know, I would try and find time to smoke during the programme. I mean, not smoke for donkey's years now. But at the time, I was 60 a day. I mean, I was, I was doing some. If they gave away free gifts, I'd have built a house, frankly, on the amount of cigarettes that I smoked. And it was all because I blame my, my parents exactly and entirely for saying to me, my parents used to keep cigarettes at home in a cigarette box, which I still have, and I still have a cigarette box. And... Um, and they kept, I think it was Embassy cigarettes in there. Other brands were available, but they just had Embassy. And uh, yet neither of my parents smoked. My father smoked a pipe. And uh, I can remember my mother saying, oh, you don't want to smoke, Stephen. Because my Auntie Ivy smoked. She said, oh, no, it may make you sick. So, of course, when they were out one day, I took a cigarette out the box. Because I thought, I don't know why we never think that parents count stuff like that. And I went round the back of the, back of the shed and I lit the cigarette. And I thought, I quite liked it. Quite, and that got me into it. And I was then buying them. Whilst I was at school, I was buying cigarettes and sitting on the back of the bus smoking number six or number ten because they were one and ten pence for ten number ten. Couldn't afford a whole packet. One and ten pence. That's under two bob, under ten p. My God, can't believe it's in my lifetime. Coming up very shortly, the news at six o'clock this morning. It's Wednesday, the 15th of February. It's LBC. It's Steve Allen with you until seven and then Nick Ferrari with you for breakfast. It's nice to have your company. Hope you're well. The uh, child killer Ian Huntley has asked fellow lags to call him Leanne. Why do we allow people in, in prison to get this stuff out there? Why are the papers printing stuff about people who are in prison? It's supposed to be some sort of punishment. It seems to be the cushiest life I've ever seen. Uh, the Vegan Cafe, who has attacked customers with vile rants, it's closed for decoration at the moment. Uh, the thug legs it. He just wandered out of court as the judge 
was sentencing him. He just walked out of court, passed security, and disappears. They're looking for him. Of course, they'll now be adding something onto his sentence when they actually get him. And the doctors who say, get diesel cars off the road. All of that, and don't invest in the banks. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, every five past six, Wednesday morning. As we race through February. You don't, I mean, before we know where we are, it's going to be Easter, isn't it? And then what happens after Easter? Come on. Christmas. There you go. We will start getting excited about Christmas. Actually, the truth of the matter is you should really start planning now. And that way it's not going to be that dreadful drain on the finances, which it probably was uh, for this Christmas, because the retailers on the high street are complaining bitterly. You're not out there shopping. And all I want to do is buy windmills for the garden to keep off the rooks. And you'd think I was asking... I went into one shop, which is one of those shops that sells plastic buckets outside. They've always got all sorts... They've got everything you can always think of. And I'm sure he used to have windmills. So I went in there... And I had a look around, because you don't like to ask, do you? You feel a bit silly, you know, windmill. And um, and so he said, what are you looking for? I said, windmills. He said, no, summer. I thought, what, they're a seasonal thing now. Windmills are seasonal. I remember going to try and buy sunglasses at one point, some years ago, and I went into a department store years ago. I mean, nowadays you've got, you know, shops out there that specifically sell sunglasses. And I dreamt about sunglasses last night. I dreamt that every time I opened a drawer, there's another pair of sunglasses. I must have about ten pairs of Ray-Bans. And... And I, where they keep coming from, I've got no idea. But anyway, yeah. I remember going to a department store and saying to the, the girl in about November, I said, oh, um, sunglasses. And she looked at me like I was mad. And she said, it's winter. And I said, yes. And she said, no, sunglasses for the summer. I said, oh, right. Obviously, people didn't buy them. And of course, I do wear sunglasses all the time. Uh, Charlotte in Sidcup. Uh, lost her mum yesterday. She says, listening to you has been very comforting. Listen, it's, it's some, we all have to face up to it at some point. At some point in our lives, you know, we are going to lose somebody very dear to us. And it's either going to be expected or it's going to come completely out of the blue and we're going to go, well, I didn't see that one coming. They seem fine and all the rest of it. Everybody gets through it in their own way. Some people don't like to talk about it. Some people like to talk about it all the time. And some people need the comfort of other people telling them how to get through it. And the amount of people I've spoken to over the years who've talked about bereavement uh, and losing somebody close to them. I mean, it's 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 tragic because nothing prepares you. Nothing. There's nothing that anybody can say. I told you um, that uh, a good friend of uh, mine lost his partner, Gordon, who'd been on LBC. And even though he knew it was going to happen because he had motor neurons... Uh, when it actually happens, nothing prepares you for it. And I can remember, I, I think I went through my father's funeral and I didn't, I didn't think anything. I'd, and yet my mother's funeral, I didn't think anything during the funeral. But afterwards, you then sort of cry. And I think it's, I think it's then because you realise the finality of it. You realise that it's not that they've moved down the road or they've moved to another country and emigrated or, you know, they found another partner. It's the fact that they're not coming back. That's, but that's where your memories come in. That's where you think about somebody and you think, Do you know, there were some really good times. There were some really good times. There were some, some crappy sort of times where you think, oh, I don't like this and we all moan about it. But, you know, I've often said to people that you only get one set of parents unless they re remarry. And you just got to make the most of them. But you never say things to them that you wished you had. You never say things to them when they're alive. And you think, God, I wish I'd said that. Wish I'd said that thing. But it was always that uh, that thing that your parents and, you know, and your aunties and uncles will say, you know, your mum really loved you. 
and you sort of think, oh, it just makes you feel even worse. Makes you feel even worse. But it does get a bit easier. But you never forget. You absolutely never forget. Like these three children here, you know, of this, of this tragic couple. Both got cancer. Both died within a short space of time each other. And I mean a short time. It was under two weeks, I think, for both of them. And, and the kids have to come to terms with the, the losing of one parent, but knowing that the other one is definitely going to go as well. And so that's why it's so tragic. Because they're young and because they were such a young family. And they, the dad was only 57. The mum was 50. It's nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. So, you know, Andy says we're a nation who care no matter what. Some parts of the press try to portray. A couple of years ago, my partner and I lost a baby and a couple of months later lost my mum. The amount of kindness was overwhelming and from people I hardly knew. Yes, it's always people that your parents worked with or something like that. Because my mother worked for the police and uh, they had said to her, jokingly, although it was actually quite serious, that if she died within a certain period of time, she would get a year's money. And my mother joked about it. She said, oh, you know... I said, knowing our luck, you'll die after the, after the period, so we won't get the money. But um, true to her word, she did die within the period. But I mean, it, was, it was just, you know, you've always got those, those great memories. And that's why the amount of money that's been given to these, these three kids, you know, who want to go into acting. And I hope this, this money enables them to do that. So far, £250,000. I predict it'll go a lot further than that. Because the, the, the papers like it. And if the papers like a story... Then they'll do stories on, I couldn't care less about some silly girl who wins the lottery and then complains about it years later. You know, I'm, I'm more concerned about people who are trying to keep themselves together at a young age and they're not attention seeking. They're very, very ordinary people, very, very ordinary people with two quite remarkable parents who were obviously devoted to each other. And now they've got to come and they will have times where they sit down and they can't quite comprehend exactly what's happened because you go through it in like a blur. You really do. Uh, but but we do get through and we are generous as a nation. I mean, we are. People put out appeals for people in other countries and people dip their hands in their pockets and go to their credit cards and do things like that. And the amount of people who've given to these three kids who they don't know is, is quite, quite, quite remarkable. So £250,000. I'm tempted to say, let's push it upward, shall we? Let's see if we get some more for them. And I think they will. I think they're going to get loads. Uh, the pages of the papers today are full of all sorts of things. For the, the, the first one, which is of interest... Uh, to a lot of you, if you're property owners, is the fact that that's your best form of investment nowadays. Buying a property, they've got... I mean, I'm always amazed at how expensive property in London is, which I've lived with for the past 40 years, and how cheap property is out of town. Obviously not in certain areas. There are certain, you know, flashy areas. Cheshire is sort of an up-and-coming area uh, if you're sort of a, a footballer or something like that and you want, a, you know, what they call a trophy house. But if you're looking for value for money, Scotland... Scotland. They've got houses in Scotland today. There was a couple on the television. It's one of these um, self-build kind of programmes where we follow. It's like grand designs, only it's sort of the cheaper end of the market. And this was a couple who uh, both worked and they decided that they want to have their own house built. So they found a plot. They went to look at one house in a village and they ended up seeing another house. Well, they didn't. They saw the house in their mind. What they saw was a plot of land. And so they bought the plot of land for £172,000, which came with planning permission. The only problem was they had to get it scanned by the local archaeological society in case there were burials or all sorts of things underneath it, which they found. They found all sorts of little bits, so that held them up for a little while. The build of this house, the build of this house, which was a four-bedroom, 
three bathroom. Be- I mean, really stunning. Made of local stone with a lovely tiled roof. It all had to fit in with what the uh, the local planning officer said. And the whole thing came in £172,500 for buying the plot, 200000 to build the house. So it came in at under £400,000. I mean, there's nothing around here for that. Seriously, I looked at a flat the other day, only joking, which is above Foyle's bookshop, £11.5 million. Pounds. 11, you could go to this, you could buy this village for 11 In fact, there was a village in Scotland, wasn't there, for sale a short while ago. All the houses, the pub and everything was all included. Everybody would hate you, though, wouldn't they, if you, if you bought a whole village? But that's what they're saying. They're saying house prices up by £15,000. Investing, say the experts, in property is the best way to save. And they've got different houses where you look at places in, in Scotland and you can buy a really substantial Victorian villa for £350,000. Go to Leicestershire. You could, if you were spending a million, a million pounds in Leicestershire or Lincolnshire, my God, you get an estate. I mean, there's one here. This for 1.7 million, 1.75 million. This is um, Blenkinsop Castle, close to Holtwhistle in Northumberland. You get an entire village, which includes 70 homes, a haunted castle. Um, oh, looks like a trailer park to me. I don't know why. Why does it look like a trailer park? And you also get honoured as Lord and Master as deeds for the titles are included in the price. million. So there's bits of it here. They've got 70 park homes. Oh, that's why. A 14th century haunted castle, a public house with a ballroom, and approved plans for a holiday park. There's even room to be buried treasure. Wow! The owners, Lee Simpson and Mike, live in a property which is nestled beneath the ruins of Blenkinsop Castle, a scheduled ancient monument. He bought it, well, his parents bought the village in 1955 for 2,000 quid. 2,000 quid, and it's now one point something million. Lovely, isn't it? But I found a better house for you. A much better house. This one is a mansion used as, uh, as a setting for a grisly episode of Midsummer Murders. Uh, it dates back to the 13th century. It's called uh, Harpston Court. It's got... Uh, sorry, I salivated then about it because it does look quite nice. 13 bedrooms. What you, I mean, can you imagine? It's not just 13 bedrooms. That's 26 sets of towels you're going to have to buy. Shower gels. Toilet paper alone is going to cost a small fortune. You'll have to join Costco. A Tudor reception hall, a walled garden, an orchard, a lake and a spooky feel. It was uh, used uh, in the first Christmas special, Ghosts of Christmas Past. Uh, It's featured in the horror film, The Woman in Black and the Bond movie, Quantum of Solace. And it's yours for... Nine million quid, which actually, if you shared the lottery win the other night, you could buy it because if you're the British lottery winner, you've got 20 million. So you could buy this. But as I say, imagine staggering out of John Lewis with that many towels. You'd be going, I'm sorry, do you have another 40 of these? Sorry, 40. Well, how many how many bathrooms has Madam got? 13, 13, right? I mean, you would need a van just to deliver it. Don't ask Tesco to deliver it. You get so many plastic bags. Oh, be a nightmare. Can you imagine, though? You can buy it. That would be a good investment in years to come. It's going to go up. It's only if you buy in Florida where it goes down, I'm afraid. The property market is much depleted over there. So if you're buying property, buy here. Buy in a cheaper area because it can only go up. It's not going to go down. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome to Wednesday as we race through the week and you start gearing up for Easter I'm trying to think what else happens in the calendar, actually. We've got uh, 
We've got Halloween again coming up. That'll be 31st. We'll have bonfire night. That's all very exciting. And, uh, and then Christmas. And then Christmas. I don't think there's anything that really happens until between now and Easter. But as most of the shops appear to have Easter eggs on sale, that can't be fair. That must be April, mustn't it? So February, March. Eh? You can buy them now. I mean, it's odd, isn't it, really, that we seem to be racing ahead of ourselves. It's like the, the first store in London to actually start selling Christmas items. I mean, we're now, how many, uh, what is this? 60 days to what? To Easter. 60 days to Easter. I mean, April, I'm not really sure I can get, have we got Pancake Day before then? When does Pancake Day come up? Is that, is that, that must be a soon thing, or perhaps we've had Pancake Day. Oh, Feb, Feb, Feb the 28th. I mean, what do we... Two weeks' time. Whoopee! Why do we celebrate Pancake Day? Most of you can't cook for toffee. You have to go out and buy... Luckily, the supermarkets and Iceland make it easy. You can actually go into most of the main supermarkets and buy ready-made pancakes, uh, which you just put in the frying pan and just sort of put, put a very hot pan on and then just drop the ready-made pancake in there. Uh, but in fact, if you go to Iceland for, I think, a quid, you can buy like a plastic bottle with powder in it. You add some milk or water and then like that. And then you can sort of make it yourself. And uh, and it's lovely. And then apparently it's supposed to squirt lemon juice on. Some people put a little bit of sugar on. Some people put bananas on and then cream over the top of it. Either way, it sounds like horrendously... Why? Why do we, why do, we do pancakes? Sorry, I choked on it. Uh, why do we do pancakes? I can't work out what the reason is for celebrating Pancake Day, Shrove Tuesday. Is it the day when you're supposed to use up all your little bits and pieces? I mean, I, I know it's traditionally the feast day, which I think, if memory serves me, is before the start of Lent on Ash Wednesday. And that's the, that's the, that's the 40 days, isn't it, leading up to Easter? But I think what they used to do, they used to, they used to ring a bell, which used to call people to confession, and that was called the Pancake Bell. And, uh, but how we came round to eat it, I suppose really because it's the ingredients... I've only equated this because I'm thinking in my mind that eggs would be the creation, the flour would be the staff of life, salt would be the wholesomeness, and milk would be purity. That's what I'm thinking. Where, where the lemon juice comes in, I've got no idea. But that's it. I mean, I mean, the pancake is just a thi- just made of batter, fried, and people like golden syrup. Yuck, 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 yuck. Why would you want golden syrup or treacle or stuff like that? I mean, I know that we have pancake races, and that's where you get sort of you know, people gamely running up and down a field with a pancake, trying to toss it at the same time. And I can't toss for, for love nor money. I've tried. Seriously. And I'm just rubbish. Some people are really good tossers. I'm not one of those people. I, so I just, I flick it over myself. It's easier. Richard says, did Tesco charge that lady 5p a bag? This is the lady who ordered 36 items and got 24 carrier bags. I don't know. I'm assuming so. They charge all over the place. Have you noticed, though, a 5p carrier bag varies in size? In Marks and Spencer, it's quite a decent-sized bag. Robert Dias, it's a piddly little thing, seriously, for 5p. Great value houses in Northern Ireland, says Lynn. You can get a massive house here for the cost of a one-bedroom flat in London. Uh, oh, we've got other days coming up. Father's Day and Mother's Day. What for? I mean, why, why Father's Day? That's an American thing, isn't it? Father's Day. Perhaps we should have Divorce Day. Gay Parents Day. You know, Nudist Day. Naturist Day. Tall people over six foot three inch day. You know, little people under two foot three. You know, it's all, have all sorts of days. Anything they can get a card out of. But I reckon they, all these Valentine's cards. I mean, do people, I didn't see anybody buying cards. I, I did see people buying the meals and things like that. And I did see people... Um, you know, buying a few flowers, but not that many. 
I think it's too expensive, especially after I told everybody, the entire world, you can get 100 roses for 25 quid. Why would you bother spending, you know, 30 quid on six roses? As I say, the, the roses out there on the on the news desk this morning, how much they, they cost and who they were for, I've got, I've got no idea at all. Interesting. Jane Moore's column today talks about Adele. You've got to hand it to her, she says. In a room full of fellow artists who spend every second of their lives prostrating themselves on the altar of celebrity in a desperate bid to stay relevant, she breezed on the stage and, um, and sort of swears. And no, no, no flashing of cleavage, no thighs. Just gets on with it, really. Which perhaps is a little bit too down to earth. Uh, also, Tamara Eccleston. Nobody seems to like Tamara Eccleston. She seems to fall into the same category as poor Diane Abbott. They're both Marmite. You either like them or loathe them. And most people seem to loathe them. Uh, Christy Blinkley, she's talking about. And um, and then five decades after they were written, letters have emerged in which Jackie Kennedy, widow of the assassinated President JFK, turned down an offer of marriage from British aristocrat Lord Harlech in favour of the shipping tycoon Aristotle Onassis. She wrote, You and I have shared so many lives and deaths and hopes and pain. If I ever can find some healing and some comfort, it has to be with someone who's not part of my world of past and pain. What she meant was, I only fancied the rich one. And that's what she went for, Aristotle Onassis, who, of course, wasn't interested in her. Not in that way, because he had a mistress. He had Maria Callas. He wasn't remotely interested. The only reason he married her was to give him credibility. She, of course, sat there, twiddling her thumbs, I think, on the wedding night, going, um, uh, what have I done this for? Answer, you did it for money. That's what she did it for. Uh, so, are we going to get Prue Leaf uh, doing Bake Off? Um, she used to love them and leave them. Make of that what you will. It's an old gag, I know. But uh, affairs, drugs, an orgy and an abortion. There's certainly history. There's certainly history. And um, I think she'd be ideal. Why she's had to audition? She's Prue Leaf. That's like sort of asking, I don't know, Anton Deck to audition for a new show. Could you audition for this? I'm sorry, we're Anton Deck. We don't audition. Prue Leith shouldn't have to audition. I think she's going to be the best person. She's certainly getting all the all the publicity. That's what we like. It's, it's only a baking programme. Let's face it, we're not exactly sort of writing the Gettysburg Address or sort of having to sort of, you know, work out how Parliament operates. We're actually doing it just to put a baking programme on that's cost Channel 4 75 million quid and the BBC are sitting there licking their wounds, trying to get, well, we've got Mary Berry. Mind you, when Mary Berry's not here, who have they got? Nobody. Can't give it to Sue Perkins and Mel Gidroich? Definitely not. You've got to give it to somebody more interesting. I don't know who. I really don't know who, because we sit there and watch these programmes, but we don't do anything, do we? We don't, we don't watch these programmes and then make things. I mean, I don't know anybody who started making cakes because of the Great British Bake Off. We just marvel at how rubbish some of them are. And then the, the celebrity version, I'm just assuming they're doing it for the fee. Can't be doing it for anything else, because most of them are absolutely dreadful. Uh, Kim Jong-un's... Half-brother, this is uh, Kim John am isn't it, Am, uh, who fled North Korea, um, Nam, sorry, um, has now been, they either say stabbed with a poison needle or sprayed with a deadly liquid. Either way, he died at Kuala Lumpur Airport on his way to the hospital. And uh, as I say, his half-brother, no comment at all. In fact, actually, if, if you actually call through to the embassy, it's answer phone at the moment. So nobody's responding to that one there. I mean, it's, you know, it, I'm assuming that's what happened, because otherwise, why would you assassinate somebody that nobody knows anything about? I'd never even heard of him before. I've heard of Kim Jong-un, and I had heard of uh, Kim Jong, the other one who died, but uh, this one I'd never heard of. Same father, different different mother. And he was warning people about uh, 
about the state of North Korea, warning it, uh, you know, that uh, the, the half-brother won't, won't survive very long. And uh, he might be right. He might be right. Who knows? But whatever it is, you don't upset somebody in this tyrannical... Why people want to live there, I've got no idea. I've seen programmes on it. It's, it doesn't even look interesting. Why would you want to go to a country where people are sort of under the thumb all the time, which is terrible. Um, also, the... Um, st- oh, I've got to go, actually. I've got, well, I'm going to go to the news. I'll be back the other side. I've still got the story about the Dogsler reporter case lost. So uh, that one to come. And the Serious Grime Squad. Plus, use your login. Cyber password swap warning. I'm having dreadful trouble logging into my emails at home at the moment. I think it's obviously... I'm perhaps not very computer savvy. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Uh, Roger's birthday today. He says, uh, also, the Beckhams, not in your papers today. I know. I know. There's something something the matter with them. There must be something. Perhaps they haven't done anything of any note for ages. But they're... uh, No, they're not in my... I haven't seen any pictures of them. I haven't seen any pictures at all. I I did read the story about Costa Coffee going up 20 pence. I don't know why, actually. There's no logical reason. And uh, they promised to raise staff wages, but not prices. And so, at the moment... Uh, the I think they announced in September 2015 it would pay its baristas more than the new national living wage at £7.20 an hour. Uh, the boss at the time, Chris Rogers, said the firm's prices would not automatically rise in tandem with the new wage policy. But now the Whitbread-owned business has added 20 pence to the cost of favourites such as Americanos and Flat Whites in its 2,000-plus cafes. Drinks bought from Costa Express machines and more than 6,000 locations have risen by 10 pence. I mean, why have they gone up? I mean, sorry, is there, is there sort of some world shortage in coffee or milk's gone up in price? There's no reason for these people to put the prices up, is there, at all? Uh, the story about the, uh, the reporter is a BBC reporter who claimed a manager called her a shih tzu and a dangerous dog. I mean... <laughs> Does seem rather bizarre, doesn't it? But anyway, she's lost her employment tribunal. Look East's Sally Chitsoy says the misspelling of the dog breed was meant to imply that she was whatever. She also alleged sexual discrimination and false imprisonment. Uh, Miss Chitsoy claimed she was targeted after complaints uh, to bosses, but her case was struck out in its second week in Cambridge. She'd investigated the salary of an ambulance chief. She alleged the story was dropped after the then Lib Dem Health Minister, Norman Lamb, emailed Look East in 2014. The BBC disputed the claim, so they've kicked it out. So she lost 